evening, everybody. Welcome to tonight's space presented by Lansdowne Bound. Go check out our website for articles about the Red Sox and other things MLB. And sign up for Lansdowne Bound Plus today. Um, obviously, I'm Jason Stolakis, and I have the Lansdowne Bound colleagues as speakers. And we're expecting our special guest, Chris Cotillo, to come on and in any minute right now. So how this is going to work is I'm gonna, I have a few questions to ask him, and if someone in who is listening has any questions for Chris, if we have time, feel free to DM me, and uh, your question may or may not be featured. So, yeah, looking forward to it. Thank you guys for joining, and while we wait. Yeah, how's everything going this week, guys? Pretty good. Anything, anything newsy to talk about? For the Red yeah, Sox, undefeated Red Sox team, right? Yeah, they're. I mean, they're spring training in full tonight. effect. Yeah, they're bound to win tonight too, apparently. But and someone, one of my teachers today was like, "Hey, the Red Sox are undefeated. They're going to be great this season." I'm like, "Well, hold up, spring training." And here's Chris. Yep, they won. Invite him to speak. What's going on, Chris? How you doing tonight? I said Chris is muted. There we go. Whoever muted me, get the hell out. Jim. (laughs) Jack, that was definitely you. But anyways, Chris, welcome. Welcome to our space. How you doing? I am good. Apparently, the Red the Red Sox win. Apparently, yep. All right. They could go thirty four now, and it wouldn't mean a thing. So everyone knows. Thank you, Chris. Um, revenge tour for ice cream coming up. <laughs> Just gotta get that out. No, there. nope. No, we're cutting back salads only, greens. You name it. Um, it's all locked in starting March thirtieth. So, um, you know, twenty twenty two is bulking season. 2023, we're cutting. Um, you know, just time to make a change. Okay, Chris. So I have my first question ready for you. Um, you know, when you look at the starting rotation, um, I guess let me start off by saying, when can we expect the likes of Bayo, Whitlock, and Paxton back? I don't know if you have official word, but what are your thoughts on that? Um, you know, I don't think it's going to take long on any of the three of them. Uh, you know, I, I would, as I wrote my roster projection, uh, Today, I uh, would not expect any of the three of them to be ready for opening day just because this is how the Red Sox operate. You know, obviously, you know, they have to be very careful with Paxton just because he's a guy who's been injured a lot in his career and especially the last couple of years. I think when it comes to Bale and Whitlock, you know, that's, I think, theoretically who they think the, um, you know, the future of their rotation is. So they're not going to get greedy here and try to force those guys for, um, you know, basically one start or two starts at the beginning of the year. It just doesn't make sense, especially considering, you know, how much depth they think they have. So, um, you know, they think that they are, you know, more than 10 deep at in the rotation, you know, not just the seven guys we heard about, you know, coming into camp um, and, and the names we know, but also with, you know, guys like Winkowski and Crawford and Murphy and Mata and Walter. So, uh, you know, I think we'll see all those guys in the majors at some point. They're not going to, you know, try to, you know, steal wins in late March or early April and, and jeopardize the health of Bayo and Whitlock not being, 
uh, built up all the way. So, um, you know, I'd expect that, you know, barring any setbacks, we'd see, you know, all of them probably back to full strength by, you know, at least the end of April at the worst case scenario, obviously, you know, you don't know what the next setback is going to be until it happens. We've seen that time and time again. So, um, but I don't think these are long-term concerns really for any of the three of them. I just think the Red Sox uh, pledged to be careful with these guys and they are. No, absolutely. And then when you look at a lot of them, you just have to be careful, especially with the young arm like Bayo. And, you know, one of my concerns is we said, you know, sale will come back within the first few weeks last year, but that never really happened. Um, could you see them, the injuries uh, extending to like June a little bit, or like maybe July? No, no. I mean, sale snapped a rib and that takes months to heal. I think in these cases, you know, Bayo's back to throwing. That the soreness has gone away. Whitlock's not re-injured. He's just still progressing back from the hip surgery. Um, you know, and I do think with Paxton, I think that's the one you have to be careful about because always it seems, you know, you know everything's kind of out of whack. We've seen the different things he's hurt over the last few years. You know, while rehabbing the arm last year, the forearm became an issue, and then a lat, and now hamstring. So it's all over the place. I think he's just you know an older pitcher who's injury prone, and it's a guy that you know, you're going to have to monitor throughout the year. I do think, you know, that's an interesting question. I don't think any of these are serious. I, you know, I, I buy what the team's selling on these things. But the Red Sox do have a, a very recent um, bad history about, you know, underselling the severity of injuries. We've seen that time and time again. You know, it's a lot of, oh, they'll be okay up front. And it turns out to be complete BS. And, you know, these guys are, are much more hurt. You know, when you, you read now what Houck and Whitlock say they were going through last year compared to, you know, what the Red Sox were saying about what they were going through last year, it's, it's not even really close. So um, I do always take kind of the reports we get from them now with a grain of salt, whether it's, you know, misdiagnosing. And, you know, in the case of Trevor Story last year, I think, you know, we saw some of the things that happened you know, when he got hit by the pitch there. Um, it, it was originally just, you know, no broken bone, everything's fine, just a contusion. And there was a you know, fracture in there that they didn't notice for a few weeks. I think that was a cause for concern. Um, a lot of the minor type injuries ended up being extended absences. So, you know, fair to take everything with a grain of salt based on that recent track record. To me, you know, I just think that these things are, you know, if it wasn't spring, if it, you know, wasn't spring training and, and we weren't projecting an opening day roster, it wouldn't be as magnified. I think, um, you know, Bayo, you know, at the beginning of a buildup, if he feels forearm tightness, you got to shut him down. Pretty simple. Paxton, same thing. And Whitlock, again, I think they thought this was the plan. Of course, they said, at the end of the season that he'd be ready for opening day. So, you know, another example to what I was talking about, but no real cause for concern on my end. Yeah. And then when you look at the replacements, you know, I think the guy who jumps out at me is probably Cutter Crawford because I think he said he was not the same pitcher he was in the bullpen. And then the next guy would probably be Winkowski. Um, you know, do you, do you see, you know, Cutter Crawford being that fifth starter or do you see it more Winkowski? Um, those guys are the eighth, the you know eighth and ninth starters on this staff, and they'll revert back to that by the middle of April. So, you know, I think Cutter Crawford's probably going to get a chance at the beginning of the year, just because he had success in the majors last year. He's looked good in camp so far. Um, you know, I think those are guys that are going to help throughout the season. Uh, and you know, the the Red Sox have, have kind of thought and wanted all along of those guys to be in AAA and to stay built up as starters. You know, but they they have. Like I said, the seven guys that they started camp with, which is down to four, and then Crawford, Winkowski, and then those prospects and Mata and Walter and uh, Murphy behind them. And I think they're really comfortable with their depth. They feel more comfortable with that depth than they did a year ago when 
You know, let's face it. They had to call these guys up to the majors before they were ready. Bayo was not ready to be in the majors when he was called up. Winkowski, you know, was able to kind of, um, you know, wade for a while and tread water, but, you know, he got exposed. Crawford, you know, ran out of gas. So now, you know, those guys have the valuable experience of being in the rotation last year. They felt good enough with their depth to even, you know, DFAC bold, which we saw. So um, I think they, they do like the fact that they have, you know, up to, you know, 9, 10, 11, 12 arms that they feel like are going to be major league ready this year. And, um, you know, it's a good place to be in, even though, you know, we're, we're seeing it tested early and much earlier than they'd want it to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Speaking of depth, you know, that actually transitions to my next question a little bit. You know, depth. That's what I'm here for, just to set you up. Thank up. you, Chris. I appreciate it. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, do, do you know, like, the official opt outs for Alfaro and Tapia? Did you ever figure that out? Yeah, uh, Alfaro is an upward mobility clause on March 25th. It's a little different. Uh, Ian um, Kundal from Sox Prospects. I don't know if I'm pronouncing his last name right. One of those names you've seen a thousand times, but everybody calls me Gatillo, so it's kind of like payback to the world. Um, you know, I, I think that he reported Tapia's is an opt-out on March 25th, and uh, Alfaro's is an upward mobility clause, as I reported last week. Um, Alfaro's situation is uh, a little different, so he has to be – a team has to want to add him to basically their 26-man roster because he doesn't have options left. If a team – you know, another team wants to do that and is willing to guarantee him a major league roster spot, the Red Sox basically have 72 hours to – match it and add him to their 26-man roster or to let him go. Um, similar situation, which nobody remembers because this guy was horrible in Boston, but a few years ago, Dylan Covey, or Covey, doesn't matter again, was uh, a guy with the Rays who uh, had the same kind of clause in his contract at the end of summer camp in 2020. The Red Sox had a spot for him and added him. The Rays weren't willing to match, and the Red Sox got him. You know, In that situation, here with Alfaro, you know, if another team wants him, the Red Sox will have to take action. Um, if another team doesn't want to add Alfaro to the Major League roster, the Red Sox can keep him at AAA, obviously with Wong now injured. We don't know the severity of that quite yet, but you know I think Alfaro probably has the inside track on making the team. Tapia, different situation, um, and one that can definitely force the Red Sox hand more. Um, it's an, just a straight opt-out, according to Ian, and that means that uh, you know if he doesn't make the team, he can just elect to opt-out opt out, even if a team's not willing to guarantee him that roster spot. He can go you know, look for opportunities that way. So, um, obviously, he's having a monster spring right now. He's a guy that's played a lot in the majors the last few years, a guy that, you know, the league's pretty familiar with. So, um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised to see him, you know, want to opt out and have kind of force the Red Sox hand into adding him. I think it was interesting down in Fort Myers. I'm not there anymore, but um, Alex Gore was telling reporters that um, over the course of the spring, you know, it's become clear to them that they, you know, are interested in having a left-handed hitting outfielder, you know, on their bench. They feel like that's something that's important. So, to me, that's bad news for Bobby Dahlbeck and good news for a guy like Toppy or Durant making the opening day roster. No, absolutely. And uh, like you said, you know, I, I did listen to that, and they said Cora wants another left-handed outfield bat, which opens the door for, you know, Durant, too, to make the opening day roster. Um, who do you think is the biggest dark horse candidate to make this, the opening day roster? Um, you know, I think a guy like, you know, Duran beating out Tapia with a good spring could be interesting. I think that's a pretty good, um, battle potentially. You know, I think obviously the, um, the injuries have really, uh, 
change things here where, you know, I did my first projection on Valentine's Day. I was looking back, how romantic. Uh, uh, and, you know, today was the second one. A lot's changed. You know, I had Pavetta and Hauk in the bullpen then, have them in the rotation now because, you know, we were projecting, you know, Bayo and obviously uh, Whitlock and Paxton to be on the IL to start the season. You know, that changes things significantly. Um, you know, and then uh, opens up a couple of relief spots. Uh, I gave those to Kelly and Ort just because they're the familiar guys, although I think Wyatt Mills could, could make a run. Um, in terms of catching, you know, I thought I thought Alfaro had a better chance than a lot of people did at the beginning of camp. You know, the Wong injury is probably going to force him to be on the team. And, you know, I think that the Yu Chang signing was probably, you know, really bad for Bobby Dahlbeck just because, um, you know, if Justin Turner's okay, it just seems like there's not a spot for Dahlbeck on the team, especially if they're going to carry somebody like, you know, Tapia or um, Duran as a bench bat. So there's not many dark horses left because, you know, you're projecting now, you know, Story, Mondesi, Wong, Paxton, Bale, and Whitlock all in the IL to start with a chance at Turner. Like, there's not too many dark horse candidates because they, uh, they got to fill 26 with some of the guys that weren't going to be on the team originally. Like I said before, you know, with the exception of Story, uh, I don't think any of those injuries are they're looking at, you know, long-term things. Um, but, you know, again, until the next setback happens, you can never know for sure. Yeah, and I wrote on my on Lansdowne Bound, I think I think Tapia does have a good chance, and the only thing that really sets him back is that the fact that he's a lefty. But you know, I think he has is a good chance to excite a lot of people. Um, I just want to welcome everyone who's joining the space. Um, I think we're only going to keep the, our Lansdowne Bound guys as speakers right now. Um, speaking of them, um, Chris, do we have a few minutes to take some of the questions from the Lansdowne Bound guys? Yeah, of course. Um, you know, I'll open up to co-hosts. Uh, Jack, I know we talked before this. I know you had a few things you wanted to ask him, so go ahead. Yeah, thanks, Jason, and thank you for uh, doing this, Chris. Uh, quick question for you. I listened to your podcast with Chris Smith the other day, uh, and you mentioned how, when healthy, Alfaro has a good shot, too, because he offers depth at catcher and first, as well as DHing. Uh, when healthy with Wong, assuming Wong is healthy, where do you think Alfaro can play in there? Yeah, I mean, he's he's a right-handed bench bat, you know, potentially as, um, you know, kind of that Dahlbeck spot. You know, I think we've just kind of seen at this point, you know, what Dahlbeck can give them. Um, you know, there's, you know, you can put him at short, you can put him at third, but you're probably not going to want to. He's going to be behind, you know, Kike, Arroyo, Chang, and Mondesi and shortstop, and he's going to be behind, you know, Devers and, you know, potentially Mondesi and uh, Devers Turner, you know, Mondesi and um, Chang, they're going to play any third. So uh, Dahlbeck to me is just a guy that uh, you should probably try to trade if he has any value. Um, with that being said, you know, the fact that Alfaro can be a bench bat with the capability of catching, um, you know, that's somewhat intriguing. He can obviously hit some homers and, you know, it's kind of a, uh, seems like a, a good kind of glue guy, clubhouse guy. So, you know, I think that they were happy to get him on a minor league deal, but you know now, um, you know if he's if he's playing well early in the year when Wong is out, they're not going to cut him. You know, Wong still has options. I know they're still high on him and everything, but um, you know they seem to like Alfaro so far. If he struggles, then cut bait. You lose nothing. You know, it's a it's a minor league deal that you know you keep him on the opening day roster. People, you know, like Jonathan Lucroy made the opening day roster in 2020. They lasted two games, um, and then. You know, that was that. So, you know, like there's, there's the opening day roster. Yeah. We make a lot of, a lot out of it because it's fun to project and all that type of stuff. If Alfaro's not hitting as of, you know, April 25th, he'll get Travis Shaw and, 
you know, Con- Connor Wong will come up and be the right-handed platoon with McGuire. So, um, you know, but they're going to probably give him a chance, especially now that, you know, he seems to have uh, kind of the inside track on that spot with Wong going down. Thank you, Jack, for your question. Thanks, Chris, for your response. Um, Matty, you're next up in line. Saw your hand up. Go ahead, Matt. Hey, Chris. Thanks again for taking the time. Appreciate it. So, uh, you, you know, most of us don't put a lot of stock in, in the Red Sox being undefeated in spring training. But mm-hmm. obviously we'd rather them be winning than, than losing. Uh, but have you seen any difference compared to this spring training compared to last year? Any kind of different energy, anything that they're doing differently? Uh, you know, what have you noticed with the team during spring training so far? Uh, the year the Lions went 0-16, they were 4-0 in the preseason. So I always like to think of that. I mean, these games truly... The the biggest thing, and I you know, I hate to be the Debbie Downer on this type of stuff. They started like six and zero or seven and zero last year. They finished last. Um, they the biggest storyline of camp is you. It doesn't matter how many games you win or lose. Alex Cora always preaches two things. Number one, play clean baseball. Which um, you know, I'm not again. I'm not down there right now. So he usually, if he's happy with that, he says it. He said that through this point last year. Um, you know, again, it, was, it ended up not really mattering. And, and I think the most important thing is staying healthy. In spring training last year, the Red Sox, you know, stayed pretty healthy. And right now, this is a team that is extremely banged up for a team, you know, on, in the middle of March between the, the story thing I think we just take for granted, right? But he's supposed to be, like, the most important player on the team. He's going to miss, you know, maybe half the year. And you have three rotation injuries. Again, like I said, probably not too major Um and then Wong and you know, even some of the depth and Willie Abreu and some of these other guys, Joel Eli Rodriguez is, you know, hasn't pitched yet. I mean, there's just a lot of red flags health wise that um, I think is the dominant storyline. I think, you know, yes, as fans, I'm sure, but you'd want them to, to be winning rather than losing. But, you know, the other trade off there is like, you'd rather them be, you know, Owen 15 and all these guys not have setbacks. I think it's just, um, you know, any goodwill that's been built up over the undefeated thing to me is just completely kind of ruined by the fact that they're they're so beat up. And, you know, they can't afford another injury, right? Like, it's every day, um, it seems like something new. You know, today, I think they, they were kind of unscathed. But, you know, just Turner going down yesterday and, you know, we're just a, a freak thing like that. And I don't think he's probably – I would guess he doesn't miss opening day, but you never know because that's a very scary thing that happened and all that. But, you know. To me, I just the health is such a big, big, big uh, thing right now, and that that's the story at camp. All right, um, Jim, you're next. Hey, Chris, thanks very much for being on tonight. We really appreciate it. My question for you today is: I've been really impressed with Brian Mata so far. Um, I know that uh, you know he's obviously battling back from some injuries and uh, was kind of a forgotten man for a little while, but. Uh, He's really been impressive in what I've seen uh, so far on the televised spring training games. What are your thoughts on him, and do you think he could potentially break camp? I mean, obviously, maybe an injury has to happen in spring training for that to happen, but what are your thoughts on Mata making it on the opening day roster? Yeah, I mean, last year there was a surprise, right? A a starter making it as a reliever and Cutter Crawford. That came out of nowhere. We've seen different guys throughout the years. You know, I think Marcus Walden, Bobby Pointer a few years ago, not that those guys were heralded prospects like Mata is, but we've seen, you know, the surprising pitcher, you know, come and, and be electrifying and all that type of stuff. I think, you know, the one thing that you know sticks in my mind is the Red Sox have been trying really, really hard over the last few years to not 
use their best relief prospects as uh, our best starting prospects as relievers because they just feel like they're not getting the most bang for their buck out of their most talented arms. You know, like if you think back to, you know, there is, there's this long, long gap dating back to Lester and Buckholtz and some of those guys about not being able to develop starting pitchers and they haven't been able to develop starting pitchers. And that's, you know, why you look at a championship rotation in 2018 and all those guys were, you know, basically you had to trade for sale. You had to sign price. You had to trade for Porcello you know, trade for Evaldi, trade for Pomeranz, trade for Erod. Like, none of those guys, you know, are, are kind of your homegrown guys because they haven't been able to develop pitching. And to a certain point, Alex Gore has said it time and time again, like, we have to take our best arms and have them be starters. That's why they're so hell-bent on Whitlock being in the rotation. Um, I think in a perfect world, they'd like Hout to be in the rotation long-term. Um, you know, they've, they've seen a lot of guys that, you know, they haven't lived up to their prospect billing. You know, even Matt Barnes was a rotation prospect at the beginning guys like Darwinson Hernandez or some of these other guys. And so to me, that's kind of, you know, why I think that they would rather keep guys like Mata, Murphy, Walter right now in the rotation and develop them as starting prospects just because, um, you know, you, you don't want to have a guy come up and it, it's like kind of a, uh, a double-edged sword, right? Like a guy comes up and he's a uh, great, you know, major league reliever and you're not going to reap the benefits of him being, you know, major league starter down the road if he's so, you know, elite out of the bullpen. And they want to see what they have in these guys as starters, you know. They're talking about Tanner Houck as we, he's very talented. He's been great in both roles. We want to see how many, you know, how many innings we can get out of him and have him pitch the most amount of innings possible. So, to me, um, that's kind of what I think on, on a guy who is that talented, just like, like Mata or, you know, Walter, Murphy. That's why, you know, even Whitlock. Whitlock's been, you know, one of the top five most dominant, very quietly relievers in the game. In the last two years, and no, they want to move into the rotation. So um, there's still value in starting pitching in the game, and I think for that reason, a guy like that projects as a rotation guy. I want to go to Tom McCarthy. Go ahead, Tom. Hey, Jason, thank you. Hey, Chris, I appreciate you hopping on here with us for a little bit. Um, my question um, has been for a little while now since the signing of Turner. Uh, I've, had, I've, I've, I've been wondering who's going to be the protection in the lineup for Devis. And a lot of people have told me that it's probably going to be Turner, which I'm not sure if that's really what that guy's built to do. I'm not sure there's anyone on the, in the lineup that can really give Devis protection. But with that being said, with what happened to him yesterday, which was a pretty scary thing, and I'm happy to hear that, you know, he's, he's doing a lot better than what it looked like. Uh, so no one knows how long he's going to be out. He'll says he says he's going to be back as soon as possible. But do you have you heard anything down there about what the uh, the possible protection role will be for some players? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think the lineup's going to be. You know, Devers probably hitting second. They want Turner to hit behind him pretty much every day. Uh, the Red Sox are doing this weird thing where they're pretending like they never said Yoshida should be the leadoff hitter, which was. Literally the whole reason they signed him, or at least a big part of it, uh, which I think is interesting that, um, you know, they kind of came out at the beginning and we're, we're really obsessed with this whole idea. And now they're saying, oh, actually, uh, you know, I don't know. We never said that, so which you did. Um, but now, you know, I, I think they're getting away from that, and they, they like Yoshida probably in the cleanup spot a little bit. So my prediction is, you know, probably Devers hitting second, Turner hitting third, Yoshida hitting fourth, Duval sixth, or Duval fifth, you know, Casas or Verdugo in that sixth spot, and then, you know, you kind of go from there. They're also, you know, not really sure what they're going to do 
leadoff-wise, TK some days, Verdugo some days. They can consider Casas there. So uh, might be kind of yet another year of making it up as they go with that, which I think you know is something they've fallen victim to. But they are banking on you know Turner being that guy behind, um, you know, the guy who's behind uh, Devers for most of the season. And you know, I think they think that he. Uh, is going to come in and, and provide a Schwarber-like presence in the lineup from 21. I think they're excited about that possibility. But, um, you know, obviously if he's 38, um, there's going to be some adjustments, and obviously he's going to be out for a little bit here. So I think there are some question marks around him. But if you look at it, you know, his numbers last year is excellent. I think he's one of the more underrated players in baseball the last 10 or so years. Um, and for that, you know, they feel very confident in the at-bat he's going to give them. All right. I appreciate it. Thanks. Uh-huh. Dave, go ahead. Thanks, Jason. Uh, Chris, nice to meet you. Um, you too. Well, so to speak. Okay. Uh, uh, so I agree with what you said about the, you know, uh, the pitching. Uh, I said the other day, you know, whatever you do with Tanner Houck, let's just do it. Either keep him in the starter role or keep him as a reliever. But they keep bouncing the kid back and forth. I can't imagine that's real good for him. Um. The other thing I was going to say uh, was about the uh, – not to be a Debbie Downer here, but – That's my if, job. <laughs> so far, it's been mine, too. Uh, if we're not in contention, let's just say it's painfully obvious by June we're, we're out of it, okay? If that happens – do you see any possibility? Let's let's say Chris Sale looks pretty good. Do you see any possibility that they may say, "Okay, you know what? Let's get Sale and Jensen out of here. We're not contending this year or next year, and get a boatload back for these guys to meet a potential World Series team." Do you I mean, I, yeah, I, I think it's definitely possible if they are out of it that you know they have a lot of candidates on the team to be pretty, you know, big-time deadline sellers, whether that be, you know, all the guys they brought in on one-year deals. You know, you look around at, uh, you know, Kluber, uh, Duvall, Kike Hernandez's unexpiring deal, um, you know, some of these other guys they have. Like, that, to me, you know, those are kind of your main trade candidates, the rentals there. Um, but then you start talking about the guys who have will have a year and a half at that point. Sale, you know, if healthy – um, Jansen, like you said, that's a, you know, a guy that, you know, is probably going to pitch well and is going to be definitely attractive to teams. Um, and, and then you're going to have, you know, obviously Verdugo is going to be in that boat. Um, you know, I, I think at that point, you know, that's what, when you look at a bridge year, which this is, you know, in 2013, there's a lot of guys that they were bad at the deadline. They would have traded them too. Um, you know, and everything clicked and, you know, they were able to, um, you know, kind of obviously, you know, pull things together and win it and win the title. So, um, I do think there are a lot of, you know, potential trade candidates, but then it's kind of one of those catch-22s, right? Because if all those guys that I mentioned are playing well, they're probably not in fifth place on July 1st. So, um, you know, those guys are, are are playing poorly, then maybe they would be. And then, you know, at the end of the day, they're, they're probably not going to have as much trade value. So, um, you know, I think it's one of those things where they have, you know, potential tips to move. Uh, they don't want to be in that position. I think if we're at that position in July – I think there is going to be a leadership change potentially considered. You know, I could see John Henry starting to get impatient. Obviously, I don't know if he's impatient because he won't answer a damn question we ask. So, uh, <laughs> but but if he did, I'd, I'd let you know. Um, well, so, you know, like going back to last year, um, and, and, you know, I'm unpopular 
for you know that opinion of of, of like last year, I kind of wanted a fire sale. Uh, well, they should have. They absolutely should have. You know? Yeah, I, I hundred percent. The, the what what JD Martinez and Nate Evaldi gave you in the last two months in terms of uh, you know was not worth not being under the CBT for this year. You know, people are all excited now about Emmanuel Valdez and William Abreu, right? But okay, you get those guys for Vasquez. Well, imagine. Uh, two more for Evaldi and one more for Martinez. How excited would you be now, right? And then, so I just, you know, I wrote on the day of the deadline last year, if the Red Sox feel like their roster, it can, if they, uh, you know, they basically reshuffled the deck. They, you know, everybody knows what they did. Vasquez out, Diekman out, um, you know, Fam and McGuire in, and like, you know, kind of those, just a, you know, kind of, and Hosmer, I guess for 15 seconds, you know, like those guys, they feel like they kind of were, you know, net neutral in terms of product. Was that worth really pissing off the clubhouse? The answer turned out to be no. We show, we saw, you know, I think, you know, people really harp on, you know, they whined about Vasquez getting traded. My problem is not with that. The problem I have is two, two, you know, issues after the trade deadline. Number one, you know, they actually had a good series in Houston while all that was going on, and they got to Kansas City and put up the biggest no-show of the year, losing three or four to a horrible team. Um, and then the other part of it is not getting under the CBT. They didn't get under the CBT, and that cost them dearly, um, you know, moving forward because they're going to probably want to be under this year for what? So we can see, you know, J.D. Martinez could walk off the field in front of 7,000 fans on the last day of the season, and Evaldi could pitch twice and then, you know, not re-sign either of them. It's just... It, I think it's one of the more confusing things of the Heim Bloom tenure. You know, I'm not a Bloominati guy. I'm not a Bloom hater. I think he's a very smart guy. He's really, you know, trying his best and all that type of stuff. Um, but I think that that's just a, a very puzzling, puzzling deadline strategy. And I think it it it, it is going to hurt them in the future. We just you look at the draft picks that they're getting for you know Valdi and Xander leaving. They're worse because of this. It's, it's almost inexcusable that you know they didn't get under the CBT and. Um, you know, would fans have loved seeing JD and Nate traded then? No, but would it have mattered at the end of the day? You know, if it hurts more, that would have helped. Well, I'm, I'm glad we're on the same page here. Maybe I'll be a little bit more popular now that we're on the same page. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, all right. I think, well, thank you for answering my question very much. Yeah, anytime. Um, Chris, do you, have a, do you have time for a couple more? Sure. Uh, I want to go to Will. This Carolina, Carolina's not playing tonight. So you're all the time. Oh, okay. Will, go ahead. Hey, Chris, uh, thanks so much for, you know, being on our space. Really appreciate it. Um, The question I have is uh, now, obviously, we all saw what just happened at, you know, Turner, and uh, we hope there's a speedy recovery there. I don't know if you know what the timetable is looking like, but obviously with him out now and, you know, down and out, uh, does that now almost solidify a spot for Dahlbeck on, uh, you know, on this roster opening day? I mean, I think if Turner is out, Albeck's the obvious guy to step up there, you know, just because he, you know, could play the same type of role. Um, you know, I don't think you'd lock, you'd lock in him into a everyday DH role, maybe, you know, platoon with, with somebody like Tapia early on. I mean, if you're going into the season with Bobby Dahlbeck, Ryan Al Tapia, DH platoon, then, you know, maybe you should be thinking about a fire sale of the deadline. But, um, you know, like I just, uh, I think that he is the guy, if Turner's going to be out, I think it's too early to tell if that's the case because, it's so fresh. It's such a new injury, all that type of stuff. Um, and guys recover at different times, obviously. Uh, you know, guys recover differently. The fact that there is no fractures, I think that, you know, obviously accelerates the timetable. But, you know, this comes down to how he's feeling. They're not going to rush him. And, um, 
you know, he's a veteran guy. He's not trying to make the team, you know, just he's going to tell them how many bats he needs to feel comfortable in the box again when he gets back. Too early to tell that right now, um, but I'm sure that, you know, the next few days we'll get some clarity. Yeah, how do you um, how do you feel about Dahlbeck's chances this season? Do you feel like this is like his make-or-break year? No, his make-or-break year was last year, and that was it. So, um, <laughs> yeah. I, you know, I... I asked the rope why. is pretty short at this point. <laughs> you know what? He, he probably really badly wants a trade because he's going to get a better opportunity elsewhere, as my guess. Um, or he'd get a better opportunity elsewhere. But the Red Sox, you know, was described to me this way. He's not burning a hole in our pocket, which is pretty interesting. Like, they can just send him down to Worcester. And if he's going to be, you know, miserable being in AAA after all the time in the big leagues, that's, you know, a good problem for the Red Sox to have. It's not a good problem for him to have. But, um, you know, if, if I think, you know, they, the reason they went out and got a guy like Justin Turner instead of just re-signing J.D. Martinez was for that protect, protection at first base. I mean, I think that that's, of course. Um, you know, the Turner move was a huge indictment on how they feel about Dahlbeck for sure. All right, all right. Thank you, man. Appreciate you. Yeah, uh, I want to welcome everyone into this space. Um, if you have any questions for Chris, you can DM me, and I'll ask them for you. Um, Jack, go ahead. Yeah, um, Chris, on the topic of kind of last year's deadline, quick question related to Reese McGuire. Um, is there a reason that the White Sox sold pretty low on a guy with starting catcher potential, you know, in the early stages of arbitration for a below-average reliever in Diekman? Uh, I like that you called Diekman a below-average reliever because that's true. He was a little overrated. Um, but, you know, McGuire had multiple chances to prove himself as a major leaguer before being traded to the Red Sox, and it was kind of a, um, you know, just the same the same thing all the time. Didn't really hit when he was traded. I asked a scout who knew him really well, and they said he has zero offensive potential whatsoever. Obviously, you know, 337 down the stretch, you put together good at bats. The Red Sox might have feel, felt like they unlocked somebody. Um, that was just a, you know, diamond in the rough, you know, warm body type that the Red Sox knew they needed some catching help and thought, you know, we'll see what this guy can give us. Obviously, we have Wong in the system. We still have Ploiecki here, um, you know, for at least a couple months after that. So, you know, it's either a very shrewd pickup that worked out. Obviously, it worked out for two months. Um, I do expect we're going to see some regression from him. You know, if he, if he hits with that clip again, I'll be absolutely shocked. I think no one expects that. You know, but he can still be a respectable hitter and a guy that can command the staff and stuff like that. Um, and if he does that, then it'll be, you know, one of the more shrewd moves Bloom has made. So um, I think it does say a lot that they were, you know, convinced that, uh, you know, convinced enough in his abilities not to go out and add somebody, uh, you know, this year. So um, over the winter. I want to welcome Jared Carabas. Jared, what's going on, buddy? I have a question for Chris. Um, Chris, you, you've been suspended from the podcast a, a number of times over the last couple of years. Um, 2023, very important season for for not only you, but the team as well. Big market. Um, I'm kind of just wondering, like, how are you handling kind of being on probation for the season? Like, is it something that's in the back of your mind, like whether or not you'll get suspended for the rest of the year? And how have you handled that pressure so far? What's your approach? Do you have a cold? No, I'm dipping. Oh. No, same thing. Um, it's like a long-term cold. Uh, I think, you know, the way I look at it is, you know, every time I get to be on the podcast is a blessing. Um, I think we had a really, really good uh, conversation the last time, which was uh, in, during my time at Fort Myers about Tristan Casas. It was uh, a treat to be back. 
um, still didn't pronounce my name right, but you know, we're taking baby steps, but you know, any opportunity from here on out is appreciated, you know, and if, if you, if, if I think you're doing a good job when you have me on, maybe you get yourself an appearance on the Fenway rundown, which I know you've been looking for, for a long time. Thank you. Yep. So I want to welcome everyone else who joined the space. Um, feel free to DM me with any questions. Um, uh, March Madness, go ahead. Hi there. But geez, how do I follow that up? Okay. So, uh, Chris, it's, it's nice to meet you, and I appreciate the opportunity to be able to ask you a question. Um, what is the best part about being a beat writer for the Red Sox and why? And then what's the worst part about it and why? Um, great question. Uh, for me, the best part, I think, is the travel. Um, you know, I think <laughs> there's a very, very widespread misconception that uh, I, we travel on the on the plane with the team and, you know, all that type of stuff, and we are in the team hotels and all that. Uh, that's not the case. We're definitely, like, you know, middle seat on Delta or if, you know, Spirit Airlines is the best option, then we're on that. So, uh, you know, we fly separately to the team, just meet them wherever they are generally. You know, but for me, you know, in my 20s and you're doing it for the last five years, like I've gotten to see places and cities and ballparks, obviously, that I never would have probably gotten to see otherwise if I had a more traditional job. So to me, that's been kind of, uh, I think, the coolest part. In terms of the worst part, uh, I think just, you know, uh, there's not many. Um, there are different parts that uh, routine-wise I think are hard. Like, you know, uh, it's not a 9-to-5 by any means. It's a... Uh, you know, some days, you know, during spring training, the day starts at 8 a.m. and it's like an 8 to 6 day. And then regular season, some days, you know, I wake up at 2 p.m., 2 30, because I have to be at the ballpark at 3, and then I'm riding until 3 a.m., 4 a.m. So definitely tougher on people with, you know, families and kids, all that type of stuff. Um, I know that from working with them on the beat, the routine part. It's not the healthiest job, I'll put it that way. And so when you add soft serve ice cream to that equation on every single evening, it becomes even less healthy. And again, you know, we're we're going to all greens only this year in the press box. Jared, what thank you so much. Jared, what's your over under on Casas home runs? And then Chris, I'll have you you answer that. Um forty four and a half. I have the over. Chris? Seventeen and a half. That's a big difference. You guys wanna talk it out? Yeah, Jared's a Red Sox diehard and I'm an objective teller of the truth. People, people forget that Chris Cotillo has many pictures of himself growing up as a Red Sox fan. I feel like you can't just remove that because of your job. So deep down, we know that he's a Red Sox fan. That Lou Maloney picture today was great. I haven't grown one inch since that was taken. Jack, go ahead. Yeah, quick question for Jared and Chris. Uh, who's your player who's a little bit under the radar maybe right now who uh, you are projecting to maybe break out or exceed expectations? You want to go? I'm trying to think. I mean, I feel like if anyone is in a Red Sox space in March right now, I don't think that there's a name that you can just throw out there and be like, this is a surprise name. Um, I don't know. I mean, I feel like I feel like just from being down there, and I'm sure Chris can speak to this too, that I think that Yoshida is probably better than I think fans know or realize. I mean, he's a little guy, like – He's probably like Chris's height, so he's like very, very small, but he he's very but compact. A huge, but a similarly huge heart. Yeah, yeah, big heart. 
um, yeah, it seems like he has more power than I think people. I got I got the chance to see him play in spring training, and then I got to see him take batting practice a couple times. The bat the ball carries more than I think I realized or expected. So I'm I'm gonna be I'm gonna be basic and pick Yoshida. I think Mondesi could have a really good year. You know, obviously no one's talking about him because he hasn't been on the field yet, but you know. That when healthy, I think the tools are there, and I I actually talked to him my last one of my last two days down there, and was just super impressed with you know just the the interview and kind of the, some of the stuff he had to say. It's one of those stories that I'm, I still haven't written. Um, you bank some when you leave camps to make it to stretch the coverage out, but he was uh, he was really good to talk to, and you know another guy they're slow playing, but they feel like you know you know they they feel like there's a ton of upside there, and. That's what they need. You got to take a shot. You know, I don't think Josh Taylor was a guy that they really thought was, uh, you know, going to turn into, uh, you know, Hall of Famer. So why not go get a guy with a lot of upside like that? Thanks, guys. Dave, go ahead, buddy. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> yeah, Chris, I, I've always liked Mondesi. You know, when he was with Kansas City, um, ton of speed, um, showed a little, a little pop even here and there. Uh, you know, the guy who can give you triples, uh, something the Red Sox really haven't had a lot of, especially on this team. I don't, I don't see uh, a lot of home run power, and I don't see a lot of speed. Um, and I'm, other than Devers, of course, I, I, I don't see a lot of anything that sticks out, <laughs> other than. In, in this, I love the Red Sox. I've been a Sox fan since I was nine years old. <clears throat> but again, I'll just step into reality. To me, this looks like a legitimate fourth place team in this division. And I think I brought it up on the podcast the other day. It almost looks like the ownership has no direction. It's almost like as if the ownership is saying, you know what we're going to do? We're going to be just good enough to where people don't complain too much and still come and watch, but to where we can save enough money and we're not going to spend. So to me, I just want to know your opinion. What direction is this team going in? I mean, I think it's I think it's a classic you know, bridge year, just like 13 was, right? I mean... The interesting thing to me, you know, when you think about uh, kind of the expectations for the Red Sox heading in, they've been kind of similar for four years in a row, right? So 2020, uh, you know, I think 2019, the expectations were sky high about repeating because they had the same guys back and they had won a billion games in the World Series and all that type of stuff. In 2020, that uh, was a team coming off a disappointing year, some new faces, obviously. I think mean, I'm, I'm talking, you know, pre-COVID, you know, the first spring training. Oh, uh, this team's, you know, probably going to be, they're competing for a wild card spot or whatever. 2021, same type of thing. They surprised in a positive way. 2022, same thing. They surprised, obviously, in a negative way. You know, I think the expectations have been right around, you know, the same for the last four years, um, which I think is interesting. I think in terms of direction, um, you know, they are excited more now, I think, about the minor league depth than some of the guys they have coming up, some of the guys we've been talking about. You know, not just the blue chippers and Bayo and a guy like Whitlock who's still very young under control for a while, but 
Um, you know, some of these guys, whether it be, you know, Walter, who's a late bloomer or Murphy, whoever it is, a guy like Wong, you know, I feel like they think that their depth is at a place where, um, you know, they're going to hit on some of these prospects and they need to, because, um, you know, Heimblum's been touted as a guy who can develop a farm system, all that type of stuff. Um, it takes some time. And in that thing, I think, you know, we talked a little bit earlier and here about how people, uh, or Heimblum might be on the hot seat if they are, you know. Uh, not playing well in the middle of the year. I think that is kind of the reality of Boston, the reality of impatience, and the reality of three last-place finishes in four years if it comes to that. At the same time, they said to this guy, you need to kind of institute a long-term plan. You need to you know, execute a long-term plan where you're getting these prospects and you're you know, building up the farm system. And I think it would be a little shallow to not see that through um, to the end. And I think you know, less than four years would be – um, really not the opportunity to do that. So I think it's a big year, big picture for the Red Sox. And, you know, um, I do think there are some misconceptions about ownership. I, I know I complain about this all the time on Twitter. And it's not just a um, it's not just a me whining because I don't get quotes as a media member. I think the fans are owed, you know, some you know responses or some explanations from John Henry for a question like that. What's the direction of the franchise? And, and you guys as fans don't get that. One point on the Mondesi thing um, you know, adding an element of speed. You know, I think this guy's one of the fastest in baseball when he's healthy, obviously. Um, I, my, one of my favorite trivia questions in the last few years for the Red Sox is who led the team in steals in 2021 on a really good team? Inexplicably, Vasquez, I believe, wasn't it? Christian Vasquez, yeah. So that yeah. goes to show you how, how much that element's really been lacking the last couple of years. Yeah. Thank you for your answer. Yeah, I got a question right now. This goes for Jared yeah. and you, Chris. Who has the best drip on the Sox team? Have you ever seen how I, I mean, have you ever seen how I've dressed or carried myself? You know, I have no idea about any of that. Like, I, it's like, you know, I mean, me judge that's ridiculous. So we'll go to Jared who spikes his hair. My bad, I was brushing my teeth. Um, it's Phil Verdugo, the reigning defending undisputed champion of Drip. Um, he's got the best sneaker collection, but sneaky... Sneaky best sneaker collection on the team Story. belongs to Trevor Story. Also, Christian Arroyo, a dark horse in that conversation. Well, the, I'll, I will jump in with something that absolutely nobody cares about. Maybe a couple people in here. The uh, the whole Trevor Story sneaker collection thing and the reason he wears the batting gloves the color he does. For some reason, as a kid in Texas, he grew up like the biggest Jordan fan ever, the biggest North Carolina fan ever, and that's why he's you know obsessed with Jordans and Carolina Blue and all that type of stuff. So that is a uh, – there's your fun fact. I think Rob Bradford somehow unearthed that one before I did. Maddie, go ahead. He likes – we can't – you know, Trevor Story, big fan of an NIT team. Yes, sir, I got a question for Jared. Jared, DraftKings has the Red Sox at 78.5 wins for the over-under. Uh, what are you hitting the over-under on that? Definitely hitting the over. I'm actually surprised it's gone up then. I think it was at like 76.5 or 77.5, so it's going up because they're the only unbeaten team in spring training, one of the best teams on planet Earth right now. Um, I'm definitely taking the over. I've got them in the mid-80s range. I think uh, when you look at last year's team, you know people want to point out that they were in last place, but the one thing I know, like John Henry gets a lot of flack, but he made a point about you know, if you finish 500 in this division, you're in last place. So they're a team that obviously had a lot of injuries. And I don't, like, I wouldn't blame the injuries because I think 
when you sign players with injury histories, that's that's on you. Like that's to be expected that those players would get hurt. But I think from a, a talent perspective, uh, I know that every single year you're talking about if they stay healthy, they can do X, Y, and Z. That's the case for every single team. But I think that a lot of emphasis can be placed on this team in particular, that if they stay healthy, which more than likely is not going to happen. So it comes down to your depth um, and they do have some depth there. And I think we're seeing that in spring that uh, I, I like, I like this year's team a lot better than I like last year's team. And that team uh, had a lot of things go wrong. So it, I know that we're a lot of Red Sox fans are in a negative mindset, but the thing is things can break your way. Like in 2021, that wasn't the most talented Red Sox team we've ever seen. And they almost went to the world series. They were, uh, they were a Nathan Avaldi strike three call potentially away from going up three, one against Houston. And then maybe they go to the world series. I don't see that team blowing a three, one lead. I don't think that they were world series aspirations at the beginning of that season, but they had a lot of things go their way. So it's happened before it can happen again. Yeah. I'd also take the over, Bob. But I also think that, um, you know, I also think the whole thing about, you know, and the point you made with Henry, I think, makes sense. Like, you can be fifth place in the American League East, which is absolutely stacked, and still be competing for a wild card spot. You know, like, would it, be, would it surprise anybody if, you know, three, four American League East teams, you know, get in? You know, so just that to me, especially when you're, you're going to be beating up on each other less, obviously with more interleague games and, and fewer divisional games, like you're going to have the chance to beat up on really crappy teams from elsewhere, including teams from the national league that, you know, you didn't get to see last year. The Red Sox were abysmal in the division last year. You know, I think all the ALE teams are probably excited about the fact they get to see less of each other and, and maybe the win totals go up from there compared to the rest of the league. See, I am capable of positivity. Jack, go ahead, buddy. Yeah, quick question, kind of a hot topic one for you, Chris, because you just touched on it a little. Uh, what is Hein Bloom's leash right now? And Jared, if you'd like to answer too, please. What do you think it is, and what would his job look like if maybe this team takes the takes the fire sale at, in June or, or, or July route? I mean, I think I think that there is a chance that this, if they are in last place again, they look to make a change, and I think that that would be unfair considering the mission they sought, they asked him to do, which was build from the farm. And I don't blame Heim for 2020. I, you know, I think that's a total crapshoot. The Mookie trade wasn't on him. I think there are things you can say he's done wrong. The Renfro Jackie Bradley trade, obviously, being one of them. Um, the handling of the Bogart situation, he deserves some blame there, but there's some wins too. You know, Devers, some of these other, you know, pickups, whether it be Whitlock, Arroyo, we talked about McGuire. 2022 was a disaster. 2021 was better than expected. So let's say he's, he's one and one. I, I think it's, um, there's some things are, are legitimately, you know, on him and some aren't. And so for me, I think it's too early to judge, but in a place like this and with a fan base like this and the pressure, you know, this high, I wouldn't be shocked if the leash was short this year. I, I'm on the other end of the spectrum on that, and it's kind of like to Chris's point earlier where I, you have to execute a long-term plan and how fair would it be if you bring this guy in to, to do it and then when you're going through the tough stretch, which I, I, I have to believe they anticipated that there would be some – 
either underperformance or some uh, just bad teams in the mix. And I guess that's what we're seeing. But, you know, you, you did have 2021 20, in there. Um, I, I don't know that if the Red Sox finish in last place this season, I don't think that they look for a change right then and there. But I do think that um, you get to a certain point where it's like, all right, like let's start to see like at least an upward trend. Like you can't finish in last. And I don't think that uh, I don't think that finishing in fourth is any better, which is where the odds have them finishing this year is they're, they're a fourth place team. Yeah. I mean, say missing the playoffs, probably better. Yeah. If they, yeah. Like say they, say they win 84 games and they miss the playoffs by two games. I don't think that the Red Sox are like, we need to make a change. I think that that's like, all right, we're moving in the right direction. And I guess it all depends on what does Bayo look like this year? What does Casas look like this year? Are the guys that have been, um, added to the organization in the last three, four years, are they making strides? Are these guys that we see either as pieces that we can move for major league talent, or are these guys that we can forecast to be uh, pieces that can help us win a championship here? There's, there's so many questions that I think go beyond just what the win loss is going to be for the big club this year. Um, so I would be very surprised, even if there were rumors that they were considering making a change if the Red Sox missed the playoffs. I, I agree with the rationale there that it probably wouldn't be fair, and those are all great points of how they should judge it. But I just don't trust them to judge it that way. I could see, you know, how fans hate us, and ticket sales are down, and Nesson ratings are down, and panic button. You know, there's a guy who hired who fired Dave Dombrowski, you know, in 2019, right? And so I could see them kind of hitting the panic button and, and not unfairly not letting Haim execute the end of that plan. I'm not saying it's the right thing to do. I, mean, I, I don't agree with you on all of that, but I just don't trust them not to. Thanks, guys. Hey, Jared, can we have an episode on your podcast call, dedicated to Trash Island? Yeah, we can run it back. Uh, I don't know when we're going to be going up to like the most northern point of the country on Sunday to Coley's daughter's birthday party. So I will have a conversation with Coley this weekend about having a Trash Island Part 2, but I feel like I can't do that unless Coley's there. All right, thank you so much. Um, Jim, go ahead, bud. Yeah, thanks again, Chris and Jared. Um, Question for both of you. So, you know, early on in this offseason, we saw a lot of drastic changes starting and guys that we thought maybe would be returning to the team have not um, for various reasons. Um, I was on the train of, you know, really questioning why some guys were not returning. Uh, and then I watched a, um, a, vi- a video on uh, that Bloom gave to uh, John Heyman, and it was talk about how the clubhouse culture needed to change. Um, are you guys on board with that? Do you think that is a legitimate reason why we see so many changes? Or was it mostly just the plan that wanted to be executed down the road was the most uh, was the biggest point here? What, do you, what are you guys' thoughts on the on the on the clubhouse culture and the need to change? I mean, I think if the Padres don't offer Andrew Bogarts, you know, way way more money than anybody ever anticipated him getting, then uh, there's a chance he's back here, and the clubhouse doesn't look all that different, right? I mean, I think they, they you know they tried to resign Xander. We can debate about you know how uh, how well they were, the, um, you know pursued him or, or how strongly they did 
Um, I think they really tried to bring Evaldi back. You know, I think that they tried to bring back that piece at least. Um, so I don't think they were like, you know, in for a wholesale changing of the guard clubhouse wise. I think that, um, to me, I've seen that as a little bit of revisionist history this spring, just because it is a new group. Um, and, and you know, I think it's interesting that some of the stuff uh, Kike Hernandez said about you know we were too comfortable in last place, like. I'm in Cora immediately coming out and saying, yeah, that just that wasn't the case. We didn't feel that way at all. And, um, you know, I feel like Kike's comments kind of made it seem as the clubhouse was, was worse than it, it was last year. Um, and obviously when you see, you know, this, this big of a changing of the guard, it kind of lends itself to that idea. I just, um, I don't think it was, I think it was a very tight-knit group last year, you know, and um, they just, they got hurt and they underperformed. You know, I think looking beyond reasons like, like that, I think it's kind of doing a little too much work. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I know that they tried to bring Ovaldi back. I think, like, that story's been out there about yeah. how they made him an offer in November. They thought that they could do better. The Red Sox moved forward with their plan B. And then by the time Ovaldi circled back, they were like, we've already allocated those dollars elsewhere. So, like, they wanted Nate back. Um, but I think for the, the whole, like, clubhouse culture thing, uh, and I don't even, did you see the clip, Chris, about how I talked about the, the napping thing? Uh, what, when I, when I was on there? Or? No, it, so I, I told the story about how, because uh, it, it made it seem like they were angry, bitter veterans who like didn't like the young players and he was napping yeah. in the clubhouse and all that. And I told a story about uh there was a veteran. Yeah, in, I was on the I was on the phone with you when you told the story. Okay, yeah, yeah. A veteran in 2019 was napping in the clubhouse, and another veteran like dumped water on him for napping in the clubhouse. So, like, I mean, and that team was supposed to be a championship team, and these these were guys that won a championship in Boston. So, um, I think that the the culture thing is a little overblown. Um, I'm sure Chris can speak to this too, but having spent a week down there in Fort Myers and being around the guys, like they're the vibes are high. Like this is uh they brought in some some character guys, but a lot of the uh I guess positive vibes are coming from guys that were here last year. And you know, when you look at the list of players that are no longer here um from last year, I don't I don't look at any of those guys as quote unquote problematic or that they were bad seeds like Xander. And and I talked about this with Xander. It's like, it's, it's not like he was a negative presence, but there was definitely like some mopiness going on. And like, I think that that rubs off on guys because, you know, I, I can't remember Maybe, maybe after the fact, like I, I like, I always use the example of like Mike Lowell, like after the Red Sox won in 2007, like you had Veritech on the duck boat holding up the sign that said resign Lowell, like players will advocate for players to come back, but rarely do you see that happen in season. And there were so many guys that were vocal about bringing back Xander and Nate and guys like that. So I think that that can have a negative impact on a clubhouse where it's like, what are we doing here? Like these, these are, these are guys that we need. Um, so then it, it goes from, you know, the, the back-to-back trade deadlines. I mean, when they were complaining in 21, even though they got the best hitter that was, that changed teams at the deadline in Schwarber. Um, I think that there was some mopiness going on, but I don't think that they removed 
any bad seeds, but they definitely added some character guys that uh, that I think are going to help. And the whole Casa situation with like Chris's piece on that, I think we're now at a point where, uh, and this is like a credit to Alex Cora, that he's just going to get to be who he is. Like he he came up and he said, "I don't want to be a distraction. Uh, I want to." be a positive influence here. And I think he's going to get the chance to, to get the best of both worlds where he's not pissing people off, but at the same time, he's not deviating from his routine that got him to the big leagues in the first place. Holy fuck. I just want to welcome everyone on the space. Wow. 118 people. Thank you guys for joining. (laughs) Um, Tom, go ahead. You've had your head now for a while. Hey, what's going on? Hey, Jared, thanks for hopping on with us. I appreciate it. Um, I have a question about the the DraftKings win total. Um, is that? Do you think it's more based on the fact that they don't have that weighted schedule to the AL East? And if that is the case, um, where this team is so dependent on every new addition, haven't in my I think in my opinion anyway. I feel like all of them have to, you know, everything has to go right here, you know, and there's a lot of projections thrown out, be it Yoshida to Turner to Duvall to, you know, every one of them, that if they don't hit projection or even above projection, uh, even without the weighted ALE schedule, do you see them, if things don't go according to plan, which means best case scenario, if they don't do that, how far under that 84 number could they fall? I mean, I think, what were they? Uh, they were on, like, what, like a 98-win pace against non-AL East teams last year? Um, yeah. I mean, that, that it's, it is a new team. It's not the same team. So you can't just expect them to roll out of bed and have a 98-win pace again against non-AL East teams. I think it helps. You know, it's not like a... It's not like a mental thing where it's like, oh, we just don't play as well against AL East teams. Like, those are the best teams. Like, you, you look at the top of the division, basically, if you finish above Baltimore, everyone above you is expected to make the postseason. Um, There's some really good teams in the division. Uh, I think, you know, I, I don't think that any team got overwhelmingly better in the division. I mean, Toronto's still really good. The Yankees are good, but like did Tampa get that much better? No. Like did, like the Yankees get really better? No. Um, it doesn't matter who the Rays have. Yeah, they'll ever. they'll roll out of bed and and hit like yeah. 93 plus wins. Like that's just what they do. Uh but yeah, I mean, I I expect them to handle the teams that they're supposed to handle and We'll see. We'll see what happens if you know this team rises to the occasion against better competition. I mean, it's it's uh, it's not like like when you go down there and you look at the names and faces, you see a lot of guys that are uh, on the wrong side of thirty. They're on one or two year deals. They're on prove it deals. They're on uh, I'm about to retire type deals. But that doesn't mean that there's a lack of talent. So I'm more like. As, as I kind of like watched the offseason unfold, um, I kind of just got to the mindset of let's see it. Uh, I don't have a negative outlook on the team. I don't think any of us are sitting here saying World Series or bust, but I think it's a very intriguing group. And I can't remember 
if it was you, Chris, or not, that was talking about how, you know, when when Cora, like, he, he can just, like, set it and forget it. Like, it's not a team that he has to, like, worry about or babysit. It's just, like, the last time that I talked to him about this group, I was like, they just seem like a group of professionals. And he's like, that's the word. Like, they're, it's a very just professional team. So that has a lot of intrigue to me. Uh, thanks. I appreciate hopping on with us in the answer. I appreciate it. Dave, go ahead. Thank you. <clears throat> yeah, Jared, I was, uh, you know, just back to your, your point on the clubhouse there. I, you know, I, I don't understand why they're talking about the clubhouse guys, you know, guys who have left being an issue. You know, you're talking about obviously J.D. Martinez and, you know, Bogey and uh, Evoldi. And, you know, none of those guys were issues in 2018. Um, You know, obviously winning promotes chemistry and chemistry promotes winning, right? So, you know, I, I do think that from a perspective of a player, that they might have looked in that 2021 season, like you said, um, uh, and said, you know, yeah, uh, Schwarber was a great pickup, um, but we really needed an arm or two in the bullpen. Uh, I agree 100% that of all these strike, that it, it was a strike to Castro. He probably, you know, who knows what would have happened. <clears throat> but um, I think Schwarber was probably the best, just from what I saw. It reminded me of Kevin Millar on the the Idiots team, you know? Uh, You remember the play where he flipped the ball to Voldy and went about, I don't know, 15 feet above his head, and then he made that same routine play later, and he tipped his cap to the the fans. The place erupted. Um, You know, they they needed something like that, and, and... I don't know. I think to get rid of Schwarber was just a big mistake. He was he was a great guy to have uh, on the field in the clubhouse, um, and he's he's the definition of a constant professional. He really is. Um, so, I, just your thoughts on that? Um, I I don't think that they were super aggressive with him in free agency. I think uh, in hindsight, and I feel like a lot of us felt this way in real time. So it's not even like a hindsight thing. It is now, but you were kind of forecasting like JD Martinez's age and his role and how, you know, I think the Red Sox at this point do, I know, I know that it's been beaten into our brains that like, you know, you have David Ortiz to JD Martinez. That's a hell of a torch to pass that has, covered 20 years essentially like those two guys like you had one year where you didn't have either one of those guys so I think you know you look at it where it's like oh well we should have just signed Schwarber and he would have been our full-time DH I think the Red Sox at this point would prefer to have someone that can also play defense if you're going to have most of your plate appearances be as a DH and to your point like yeah i think schwarber came over here and changed the entire dynamic of of the clubhouse i think a uh, local guy yeah he's from waltham local guy just could roll out of his own bed in the morning and just come on down to fenway actually i I was uh when i was in fort myers and the phillies came uh he was like working out 
at the Red Sox facility. And he just, he, he walked over to the Red Sox side and he just went into the Red Sox gym and got a lift in and no one cared. Like everyone was like, yeah, like, you know, he's Kyle from Waltham. Like that's our guy. Uh, and it's hard to find players that a can handle Boston and his postseason pedigree. I posted the video last October. He's homered in every uh, postseason round that's ever existed. So that's hard. It's not even just hard to replace. It's it's just they don't make those guys. Uh, so I, yeah, I, if if they would have been a little bit more aggressive, looking at what he got contract wise, um, I think that that's probably one that they would like to have back. Well, they also they also decided early on if JD opts back in, we're not we're not going after Schwarber pretty much. They, they I had there were people in the organization hoping JD would opt out at that point so they could really pursue Schwarber. I think they they thought in no world could they carry both of those guys. To your point, did, yeah. did we hate did we hate Schwarber that much at first base or in left field though? Kinda. <laughs> I could live with it. I could live with the four hundred on base percentage and forty home runs. <laughs> yeah, I know that uh when I was when I was at one of the ALCS games, I know that his his agents were at Fenway and they were already trying to like get ahead of it and work on something to to keep him around. I just don't know um I don't know. I it, by the sounds of it, it didn't get very far. Like I don't think that their final offer was anywhere close to what he ended up getting with Philly. Thank you for your answer. I want to welcome everyone on this space. Oh, my God. Uh, Chris Henrik, Joey Capone, welcome. Um, Joey, you had a question. Go ahead, buddy. Yeah, Chris, Jared, appreciate you guys being here. Oh, I thought you were talking about Joey Capone. Oh, no. Sox fan <laughs> Joey here. Much better. Much, much better. Yeah, Joey. appreciate it. Um, just wanted to kind of quick ask a quick question. I'm kind of been thinking about Nick Pavetta a lot, had a, has had a rough spring, and just kind of wanted to hear – thoughts from the group where does he fit in in a a rotation that had you know quote depth and now suddenly is you know Pavetta will start the season in the rotation what does that look like when you've got guys like Paxton Bayo Whitlock back is he is he a swing man is he still staying in the rotation even with subpar results pretty much his whole career just wanted to kind of hear thoughts on that yeah, I was like, I had convinced myself completely that he was the guy who was going to the bullpen, which you don't usually say about a guy that, you know, led the team in starts and innings and all that stuff a year ago and took the ball every five days. But if you heard how, you know, they were talking about the other guys in the rotation, we want Whitlock in the rotation. We don't want to move Paxton to the bullpen. Sale and Kluber, they're locked in, so they're going to be in the rotation. Uh, you know, uh, they basically, Bayo, they don't want to make a reliever out of him. So <laughs> once you started kind of counting down, you know, if all seven were healthy, I would have guessed Pavetta and how would have gone to the bullpen, um, both publicly and privately this spring. He has expressed that he is not crazy about that idea. And, uh, you know, I think he said, he told Tara Sullivan of the Globe the other day, I'm a starting pitcher. I don't do anything else. Ultimately, I don't think that's his call. Um, you know, he's going to get a chance to start because everybody else is hurt, but it will be interesting to see. Um, you know, I think. He's a guy who's super intense. If he's, you know, pissed off, he's in the bullpen, pitching with a chip on his shoulder. We saw what, you know, maniac reliever Nick Pavetta can do in Washington on the final day of 2021 and in the postseason that year. So um, I I think he's, you know, pretty hell-bent on being a starter. I think he's a guy that can move to the bullpen if everybody's healthy. And, And to me, before all these injuries, I thought it was more likely than not, honestly. 
Yeah, I mean, that's, I don't really have much to add to that. I, I, I agree on that. Like, I think it's not that I just assumed he was a lock for the rotation because, like, who has the best chance to give you that like, you're not going to get 200 innings, but, like, make every start or close to it. Like, that's the guy. Like, that that's the name that anyone would throw out there when it's like, all right, you know, you've got Sale, you've got Kluber, you've got Paxton. But it's like, well, you know, Pavetta might not be the most talented guy out of the, out of the group, but health-wise, durability-wise, he's, you know, number one, I would say. So, um... Pretty low I, bar, though. It's, it's a very low bar, but I think we've kind of moved away from valuing guys that can go out there and make every single start. And he's made just about every single start since he's come over here and in innings are obviously valuable. And I think Lou Merloni made this point where, you know, it's like, Oh, well, you know, what if he has like a four and a half ERA, blah, blah, blah. He sucks. Four and a half ERA is six innings, three earned runs. Like I, I don't need Nick Pavetta to be a guy that goes out there and contends for Cy Young. I just, I need innings and I need a guy that's going to give the Red Sox a chance to win. Um, and six innings, three on runs does that. And he's, he's more than capable of doing that. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how his role develops or changes. But um, up until the Rocky spring, I would have had him as the, as the lock for the rotation, but that's obviously changed. I mean, I, th- Three earned runs over six innings for him has never, ever happened, though, because it's either, like, eight shutout, one hit, or, like, nine runs in, in, in like, one of third. Then there's no in-between. So it might average out to that, but it's, it's the two extremes with him. All right, thank you, guys. Um, Want to shout-out Craig Teed for being on here, too. Um, I think I think Jack was next. Go ahead. Yeah, Jared and Chris, who do you guys think is going to make a better run at Rookie of the Year, Yoshida or Casas? Casas is plus 900. I think Yoshida is like plus, I don't think it's 350. It might be 400, something like that. Yoshida has significantly better odds. Um, but I like I like Casas at plus 900. Um, you know, I think when you're talking about... Uh, you know, the, the Yoshida defense and how often, you know, we've seen whoever has the highest wins of a replacement. Like, that's that's your rookie of the year. Like, that's what they, like, handed out now. Uh, I like Casas' defense. Not a lot of people talk about it. Um, I think they both have great on-base skills. Uh, I think that Casas has the higher power potential. So, just based on that, I I like, even though he has worse odds, I like the Casas pick. Yeah, I'd probably, you know, the odds, I think, are better there. Just because, look, you know, Yoshida can show a ton in batting practice, and everybody's been extremely impressed with him so far. But um, you, you don't know about the the adjustment period. Like, it's a totally different situation, a totally different player, a lot of different factors of play. But Trevor's story, we saw, you know, just last year, he wasn't changing countries or cultures or any of that, but he was, you know, changing from a National League team to an American League team, changing positions. Uh, changing, doing the organization for the first time. He had a kid right before spring training. He didn't have much time to build up. Uh, and we saw how he was in April, right? And so I think there's a, there's a learning curve. And for Yoshida, it's going to be a crazy next few weeks with the WBC. They're expected to go deep in that. Um, you know, I think it's going to be uh, kind of an interesting learning curve. And if he gets off to a slow start because of all those factors, it's going to hurt him and, and, you know, something like the candidacy for rookie of the year. So, 
Um, I do ultimately think he's good, but I think people should be patient with him. And I think, uh, you know, the uh, something like rookie of the year votes, that's not where you really see patience. If he has a bad month, people are going to look at that in November and um, say, well, you know, another guy might have a stronger resume. And that guy might be Coppins. Um, Chris Henrick, I saw you joined us. If you have anything to add on, please do. Please go. I'm taking this all <laughs> in right now. So, I, I got nothing right now. <laughs> Come on, Chris. You're, you're the future of Red Sox coverage. <laughs> I'll wait for a little more people talk. Maddie, go ahead. Yeah, I just wanted to follow up on a question before. Uh, there was a question about direction. And, you know, Heim Bloom was obviously brought in with a specific direction in mind. And we saw really two different opinions on where exactly the farm system is. I think it was like about mid 20s, around 23, 24. And then the most recent one being at 10. Do you think that the Red Sox are on track and Bloom thinks that he's on track? as to what he was brought in to do, which is to rebuild the farm system. You know, basically, where do you guys see the Red Sox system truly landing right now? And then do you think that they're on, Bloom's on track to where he thought he would be at this point? I think the higher one, the VA one, uh, accounted for, you know, Yoshida and, like, Bayo and the guys who... No, uh, Bayo graduated. Yeah, but I, th- I know. I think the VA one accounts for like organizational, like your young players versus just the guys who are strictly prospects. That's why it was higher. Like Yoshida, they mentioned Yoshida by name. I'm not sure on Bayo, but I, I know, I know they, they counted Yoshida. I don't think they counted Bayo. Okay. Well, you know, I think it's like farm system rankings, not including Bayo. Like he's, you know, one of your most talented young players. And, you know, Yoshida is well, a talented guy that's going to be here for five years. So like, at the end of the day, you know, when you have guys that are, you know, just over that over that bump, you know, different people are going to rate it differently. I think that probably has a lot to do with it, too. Um, you know, they have the best prospect probably the system has seen in a long time in Marcelo, so, um, and the best pitching prospect they've seen in a long time in Beto, and you have Whitlock and Houck and those guys who, you know, are major leaguers and have been, but are still controllable, so... You know, I think they do have a lot of young core pieces that, you know, they might not show up on a prospect list right now, but they're there. They're part of the organization. We've seen them in the majors or, you know, we will in a couple weeks. I think it would be more concerning if it were the other way around. Like if Keith Law had them at 10 and Baseball America had them at 23, then I would be more concerned because with Baseball America, you're getting the opinions of a bunch of people, whereas Keith Law is just Keith Law. Um, I think I I went back and looked because I was curious where Baseball America ranked the Red Sox farm system the day that Heim was hired and it was literally dead last. So they have to feel good about, you know, 2019, like the end of 2019, uh, going from dead last to a top 10 farm system in baseball. And like, you can whatever, like say like, Oh, that's because they have Yoshida in there. But like one guy is not going to make or break an entire farm system because I, I I don't even know where he like he's ranked in the top 100 for do you know that Chris where where Yoshida's ranked by them if he's a prospect or consider a prospect uh, I can look it up yeah I so do, I don't know I do have the internet here you do have the internet um 
I yeah. I mean, I I would the way that I look at it is I would m- more heavily factor in the opinions of a bunch of prospect gurus than just one person's opinion. Yeah, they've issued at eighty-seven on their top one hundred. Yeah, so number eighty-seven out of one hundred. It's not like you add that guy and it's like a top ten prospect in baseball, and that it just tips the scales that much. So, um, even with Yoshida, I I like where they're at. Uh, I want to hear from. There's one other interesting thing on that, actually. Um, the there were some guys that they were kind of way off on too, which I'm not sure how much they ha- that has to deal with that. I can look at this. Uh, they had, yeah, Casas was 29 for BA and 40 for Keith Law. Uh, Rafaela, Rafaela was weirdly like 37 for Law and 71 for BA. So there's a lot of weird kind of you know things that kind of went back and forth on that. Now that I look at it more deeply, but you know, end of the day, it's. Uh, I do like the people that say you know you never see the the uh, farm system rankings on Hall of Fame plaques, right? So um, it's all about winning at the end of the day. Want to hear from Rob? Go ahead. How's it going, Jason? Thank you for having me on, as always. Um, I have a, a Red Sox related question for everybody, but I also have a question for Jared himself. My um, Red Sox related question is. I know the Red Sox have a lot of deaf pieces, especially entering the spring training with everybody performing really well. Who do you guys think is going to be like the biggest surprise or the biggest guy that is going to contribute this year for the Red Sox? And then for Jared, um, I listen to your podcast all the time. I love it. Um, I just started one myself. So I just want to know what's your tips on like getting to like growth. Like what could I do to like help it grow a little bit? Uh, Do you want me to go first, Chris? Yeah. Since you don't know how to grow a podcast. The answer is the Chris Cotillo Sports Writing Workshop, right? <laughs> yeah, first you have to go on the Chris Cotillo Sports uh, Writing uh, Santa's Workshop, and then... Ho, ho, ho. Yep, uh, if you do that... Uh, I mean, I was I was lucky that when I started the podcast that I had Pete, because Pete knew everything. About- Abraham or Blackburn? Uh, he won't look at me or be in the same room as me. Um, Blackburn, okay. Yeah, Blackburn. Um I was lucky that I had Pete because he knew what mics to get, what recording equipment to have. Like he was the the technical brains of it. Um, so having someone that knows how to get good sound quality, and then we ended up with Steve, who is just like a, I don't want to use the word genius because he's not a genius. Uh, he was just obsessed with making it the most quality product that it could be. So. I mean, you can have the vision and the passion to want to do a podcast, but you definitely need to, it's, it's like having a band. Like you need, um, like for me, like I was the guy that had the Red Sox audience. So I helped bring in an audience to start. Pete knew how to get us set up that we could, we could do it. And, and Steve was, was an editing guru. So that's kind of where I would start. And then I think I mentioned this on a podcast, maybe like a month ago that, there there are definitely Red Sox fans that are figuring out the formula of like it's very hard to just start a podcast out of thin air and have it grow organically. So like I noticed that there are Red Sox Twitter personalities that are just like, oh, like you're big on Red Sox Twitter. You're big on Red Sox Twitter. Like let's start a podcast together. Like that's very smart. Like instead of just being like, oh yeah, like my friend Joe from high school, like he likes the Red Sox. So I'll just do it with him. But he has like 30 followers. So it's kind of just crowdsourcing to get your podcast off the ground in the beginning. 
Uh, I want to hear from Craig Teed. Craig Teed, go ahead, buddy. Yo, what's up, guys? Can you hear me? Sure can. Sweet. What's going on? Um, yeah, I was, I'm was. i like a couple minutes behind because I raised my hand and I'm not nearly as important as the other people that are speaking on here, but I love listening. Um, and I just wanted to say, you know, for people that say that spring training doesn't matter, I don't necessarily disagree, but I'm having a hell of a time. It's, I don't remember a time where I've enjoyed watching spring training as much as I have this year. Um, I mean, we just have been talking a lot about these prospects, and I think there was an earlier question about um, is Bloom's plan working? And I mean, if we're taking no stock out of the results of spring training and saying, oh, that's going to correlate to the 2023 season, at least say that we've seen some really, really good players that could impact the future club in the next couple of years. I mean, you, you talk about starting pitching, you talk about guys with serious hit tools, guys who can play gold glove caliber, you know, defense at premium positions like center field. I mean, all the pieces are there. Whether they'll come together or not is kind of to be determined, but there's a lot to be excited about. So, I mean, whether or not it'll translate to a team that's like, you know, going to make a serious playoff run this year, I'm not ready to say that. I think it's going to be a fun team to watch. I think intriguing is a good word that uh, that Jared used, but um, I'm excited about the future of this team, and I think it, it is kind of a testament to that it's working. I mean, it's a process. It takes time, but um, I've been having a great time watching some of these kids play. They're a hell of a ball player, so. Just want to welcome everyone on to this space. Um, go follow everyone. Go follow Chris. Go follow Jared. Jared both Chris's. Um, Dave, I want to hear from you. I haven't heard from you yet. Uh, Jason, you said me, right? Yeah, I don't know. I have heard from you. Just you're you're up. My bad. <laughs> okay. Uh, Chris, earlier um, you made a statement. You said, you know, would anybody be shocked if you know? you know, three teams from the AL East made it to the playoffs. Uh, you said that, right? Yeah. Okay. So, <clears throat> all right. So let's say we're going to be positive now. So let's say uh, later in the year we get Story back and uh, Mondesi's back and, you know, you could potentially have a pretty dynamic uh, up the middle, right? So knowing that, you know, the game has kind of changed where, uh, you know, Jared made a point earlier, which is a great point. Most people don't understand um, that uh, a quality start is defined as six innings, three earned runs or fewer, which equates to a four and a half ERA. Um, you know, and the game has changed. It's, it's become kind of a, you know, a, a, a bullpen game. The bullpen obviously plays a lot bigger of a role than it did when I was growing up. So Boston, if you want to look at it and say, okay, well, listen, we got a shot this year to make the playoffs, and I, and I think we can do it. And, you know, once you get in the playoffs, anything can happen. And if you have a dominant bullpen, which if we look at we got you have Schreiber, Martin, potentially Whitlock, and then Johnson. I mean, those are four guys who, who can be total shutdown guys on any given day. So, if we have, it's not real hard to find guys to pitch to a four and a half ERA. So, like I said, if those dynamics happen, you know, do you think Boston might have, if they choose to to use Whitlock uh, out of the pen, you know, four dominant arms that potentially could, uh, you know, could could run them deeper than any of us really thought.
So I think the bullpen is going to be great. You know, like I think that they clearly made a determination. They were going to put a ton of money into it, and they did it. And good for them. It only took four years to replace Kimbrel. Jared, <laughs> <laughs> hey, what do you think? Do you think, um, you know, if they were trying to win this year, do you think that's a, a good way to go about it? Uh, I mean, I, I like I like Chris Martin. Um, I don't – to the point about are they trying to win this year, it's – it's not a black and white question because it's hard to say that they're trying to win if they've made the decision to stay under the luxury tax. But on the other hand, do you bring in the national league saves leader? If you're not trying to win to some extent, it's almost like it is almost like I I don't love the comparisons to 2013 because like 2013 they had, stars like they had Dustin Pedroia they had John Lester they had David Ortiz like that that team had star players part of their core still whereas like you know Rafael Devers is a star um but you let Xander walk and outside of that like are you looking around saying like this team has star power like you're not saying that um so the comparisons to 2013 are very imperfect but I think their hope is to try to recreate some of that uh, you know, we're going to bring in some veterans on, like I said earlier, like a prove it contract, or this is the end of the road contract. There are one, two year deals um, and see what happens. Like When Cora describes this team as a group of professionals. Um, and I think Tomasi made the point of a lot of the guys they brought in are, are yeah, they're older, they're veterans, but they all have track records of winning. Like Kenley Jansen has won. Justin Turner has won. Adam Duvall has won. Like these, these guys aren't showing up here to collect a check. They don't, it's not like they don't know how to win. They have been there. They have done that. So it's, it's not like a, again, like a black and white question where it's like, yeah, they're trying to win clearly, or or they're not trying to win because they're under the luxury tax. Um, I think it's, there's some, middle ground there where it's like yeah we're not going all out this year trying to win a championship but we're also not trying to throw a roster out there where we're gonna embarrass ourselves okay and and then i I was just just a a follow-up um using the bullpen as a strength you know do, do you think that's something where if they you know like chris said earlier if they were one of those three teams to get you know into the playoffs um, you know, that that would really be the strength of the team. Uh, even if you had to go, you know, in a playoff game, you know, sail for three innings and turn it over to Hauk for two innings and go to Whitlock for two innings and, you know, just to get there. You know what, you, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I do think that their bullpen can be a strength, and I've beaten this narrative into the ground with Tyler on the podcast about how, like, he wants to see Whitlock start. I want him in the bullpen. I think it would be a different discussion if you didn't have other options to be in the rotation, but you, you do. I mean, assuming health, you do. Um, I just think that Whitlock is more of a, you know, he's an elite reliever, and those are hard to come by. And I know that the the contract that they signed Whitlock to is more built to be a starter. Like I get it, and, and but he's a guy. He's super humble. He literally, I th- I think I saw him say 
like I would be a janitor on this team just to be. You just said that quote no less than 150 times over the last two and a half. <laughs> yeah, like like I don't think that it's not a Daniel Bard who I love Daniel Bard situation where he's like I don't want to be a reliever I want to start. Like I think Garrett Whitlock is happy to do whatever role that the Red Sox see fit. Um, I I don't get the obsession with having him in the rotation, but to Tyler's point that he's made because they're not all in because they're not going over the luxury tax and there aren't world series expectations. This is kind of the year where you figure out what Garrett Whitlock can be. Like if, if he goes out there and he makes 28 starts and he's one of the best starting pitchers in the league, then it's like, all right, cool. We got something here. That's great. But what I don't want is to trade an elite reliever for a, I guess, pedestrian starting pitcher. Like, you can get one of those somewhere else pretty easily. You can't 100%. get an elite reliever anywhere. Like, that's just, it's it's more, uh, it's just rare. Yeah, I want I want Whitlock in the pen. Uh, he is an elite reliever. Uh, we saw last year when he started, you know, even, even in his good starts, you know, I think he went six innings and didn't even strike a guy out. Um. To me, that was a little bit more luck that he went the six without striking anybody out. Um, but, you know, yeah, he, he's dominant out of the pen. Pretty much, you know you're nailing the game down once he comes in. And, uh, you know, that's uh, like Kurt Schilling said the other day, um, it's a great feeling when you know after the seventh thing and you're leading that game, you're going to win, you know. Yep, that's where I'm at. Thank you, Jared. Thanks. I gotta run here after about one or two more. I gotta write for the morning, so I have to and, write. I have to write for the boarding, so I gotta go. Yeah. Some of us full time job. We don't coast on gambling money coming in. Dude, mm. you want to follow up? Yeah, I actually think that that's like a really good point. I forget who it was. Was it Dave, the doctorate guy? Um, but that that point on the bullpen being a strength, and I think that we kind of hyper focused on the regular season, which is legit. Like, there's a lot of sort of mid-tier starters and how we're going to put together five and who's going to end up in the bullpen or whatever, you know, bulk roles. I, I, I guess that's to be determined. But I think the point of that discussion is if this Red Sox team can win, you know, let's call it 87 or 88 games, sneak in as a wild card, um, I could legitimately see them being like a Phillies team. Now, Philly team was like legit boppers, right? Like we don't have you know, three or four guys that are going to hit 35, 40 home runs like the Phillies were kind of built to do. But um, they really rode on, you know, that timely home run, but also the pitching. And their pitching came up with clutch performances. You know, they had guys coming out of the bullpen that were throwing fire and whatnot. And I think that if you make the playoffs as a wildcard team and you have depth and guys like Hauk, guys like Whitlock, that might not be your top three. Let's say our top three starters in a, in a playoff series are like Sale, um, Bayo and Paxton say all three of those guys are pitching really well. And I think they have probably the three biggest upsides out of any stars on the team. Then everyone else goes to the bullpen. You have Kluber who can clean up innings. You have, you know, Whitlock and, and you have, um, you know, uh, Hauk and all these guys that can give you, whether it's two innings, three innings, four innings. I mean, it's just such a strength, right? And I think that that would be legit. And that would make me really excited about this team if they were able to make the playoffs. Now, I think the bigger challenge is going to be making it. Um, and it really kind of depends on staying healthy and obviously some guys stepping up. But I think it's a good point. I don't think it's really been talked about that much. But I think that the bullpen would 
get even better in the playoffs with, you know, the shortened rotation um, and, and kind of some of those guys backing into the pen. Uh, Marky, you were a speaker for a while. Go ahead, bud. Hey, yeah, thanks for letting me hop on with the question. Um, so I was kind of looking at the 40-man roster as we're moving through spring training here. And with some of the minor league signings like Alfaro and Tapia making the case to make the opening day roster, I was wondering what you guys think of uh, which players might be at risk on the 40-man of being DFA'd or even included in a small trade before opening day. Dahlbeck, to me, I think is going to be on the list just because there's not that many, you know, they're, they're clearly wanted to look at Orton, Brazier, and some of those guys. There's a lot of prospects they added that they're not going to DFA. Um, you know, Dahlbeck's definitely a guy. Yeah, that's the that's the name I was going to go with. Um, I mean, he 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 doesn't have a spot. Like, I think I think uh, if he were in a different organization and he's playing every day, you know, that's that's a guy that can play in the big leagues. But they've given him opportunities, and um, like Casas is the guy. They the players have been informed like that. Like this is the guy. Uh, so I think you know they're. I know that they were talking to Tampa about like a Dahlbeck deal that didn't come to fruition, but um, I would imagine that there's some team that would, that would like to have him on their, uh, their active roster. Uh, Chris, I know you have to go in a few, but uh, I have one final question myself and Jared, feel free to answer this too. Uh, Do you think we'll see the Red Sox utilize the shift they did on Joey Gallo this season? Or is that just a thing they did just for like the meme or just to annoy him? Um, I think it was, uh, my was mic there? is off. Whoops. Go ahead. All right. Keep it off. Um, permanently at the, uh, at winter weekend, I got uh dinner with, uh, Will Middlebrooks and Johnny Gomes, humble brag, but Gomes predicted that like, he was like, this is what teams are going to do. They're going to move this guy over here. Like there's ways to beat the shift. And, um, so he, I mean, like, I think if, if you've got Gomes saying it, other teams are thinking it. So I was just waiting for it to actually happen. But because we had sort of waited so long to actually see it in spring training action, it's not that I didn't think that teams were going to do it. I more or less thought that there was almost this unspoken under the table agreement that teams wouldn't do it during spring training so that they would do it during the regular season so that, it wasn't like, uh, oh, let's let's amend the rules here because we can't we can't be having this. Uh, makes us look stupid for trying to um, do something about the shift, but we still have it anyways. So I wasn't necessarily surprised to see it. I I knew that teams would try it. I just I, I thought that they would wait for regular season games more so than than breaking it out in spring training because why do you need to shift? And I guess unless you're practicing it, I mean, like you're you're seeing you know, what the, the cause and effect is in a spring training game. Yeah, and, you know, Middlebrooks made a good point on Twitter that the Red Sox can potentially make and you know, take more advantage of it just because of the way the, the ballpark's set up at home. So, yep. um, you know, if there's any 1% thing they can explore to think they're going to help win games, they're going to do it. Okay, uh, I don't know how much time you have, Chris, but um, ballpark. Uh, yeah, I got to run, but I'll do one one more. All right, ballpark, go ahead. I'm wait. I'm waiting. I'm not important enough to like set a hard deadline like that, but I do want to write about uh, Alberto Mondesi before 2 a.m. 
I thought you don't sleep, Chris. Uh, I'm tired today. It was like three hours last night. All right, Ballpark, go ahead. Hey, thanks for having me on. Great conversation tonight. Um, my question, um, kind of something that was talked about um, a little earlier, um, I do agree that giving Heim only three years would be early for a hook, but I am curious um, if ownership is not happy with where the team is, could there be a decision and could there be uh, another fall guy? Could Alex Cora really be on the hot seat if this te- if the season does not go in the direction that uh, Red Sox fans and the organization wants the season to go? I think you could do a whole hell of a lot worse than Alex Cora is your manager. I think he's a I think he's one of the better ones in the league. But I am curious: could we see a scenario where things don't go well? They're not going to hire. They're not going to fire Bloom. But someone takes the fall for two straight last place finishes. Um, just wanted to, whoever wants to answer, fine. But I'm just curious on that thought. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a very interesting scenario because you, it's it's like, where do you start judging Alex Cora's legacy? Does it start round one with 18 and 19, which was not a good year. Um, not a good year for anybody involved, really. Um or does it start with 21? And then is this year three of how you're judging him? You know, I, I think obviously when you win a World Series in your first year, you know, there's a ton of goodwill that's built up and you kind of have, you know, a very, very long leash after that. Um, players love him. The front office loves him. Ownership loves him. Good with the media. Bilingual, charismatic, all that type of stuff. Um, you know, like it, <laughs> it's hard to have like a bigger knock on him than the scandal that he survived, right? So it's a very unique situation, a very unique case. I kind of get the sense that uh, if Alex Cora and the Red Sox are to part ways, it's going to be his decision. I don't think – he says this all the time. People don't listen. He, I don't want to do this forever. He, he doesn't want to be a guy that manages for 20, 25 years. He doesn't want to be a guy who probably manages for 10, 15 years. I think he, he would you know, potentially like to do it a few more years and then – Maybe go to TV or maybe go to a front office or something like that where it's not as much the day-to-day just because his boys are so young and he wants to be involved in their lives. So, um, you know, I don't think he's on the hot seat as much as Bloom heading into this year. But, you know, um, I I really think that, you know, him stepping away or taking on a different role in the organization in the next few years is, is to me, more likely than him getting fired at any point just because it's so hard to kind of quantify his legacy and what he's done because, you know, there's so much that's gone on. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. I, I agree with that. I think uh, I think that that's what he truly wants to do. I think he wants to end up in a front office and be calling the shots. I think that that's definitely a passion of his. Um, I could I could see that happening here. I don't think that you know I, the Red Sox know what he brings to the table from from that perspective, and it's almost like he he has some of that in terms of his responsibilities or role already. Um, which is why, you know, I, I had made the point on the podcast before about, you know, sometimes there may be too many cooks in the kitchen type deal. I'm not saying him, but there are a lot of people that have influence in decision making, um, him being one of them. But that's not a bad thing. Like he he knows baseball arguably better than anyone that I've ever met. So, uh, yeah, I could see that being the end of his managerial tenure is just a transition to the front office versus like, oh no, like a fourth place finish, you're fired. Like I, I don't foresee that. Yeah, I think like 
if what happens to Brad Stevens happens to him, he would be over the moon for it. Yeah. So, all right, that's my only hoops take forever. But I appreciate everybody's questions and uh, everybody hopping in. It was that was awesome. Hopefully, we can do this again sometime. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Chris. Appreciate. Thank you, you so much. Thank you. Thanks so much, Chris. everybody. Jared, thanks for stealing the spotlight. No, I'm just kidding. I feel bad. <laughs> I literally, I literally just came in to ask Chris a question about getting suspended, and then I ended up co-hosting for like an hour. Nice. I I do have one question, if I can, more of a major league baseball question, but. Um, obviously, we all saw with the pitch clock some uh, some players maybe uh, looking to take advantage of it. Most uh, most notably, Max Scherzer uh, with some of the quick pitching and you know kind of working the the uh, pitch clock a little bit to his advantage. Do we see that happening a little bit more maybe as time rolls out on this pitch clock, especially once we enter the real season? Um, because obviously. Um, you know, some some really smart guys like him might try to take advantage of it. We saw Evaldi do quick pitches last year. Not much was made of it because it didn't matter. There was no pitch clock. But is this something that could be uh, a problem moving forward? I mean, would Major League Baseball, you think, maybe kind of clamp down and not allow that to happen? What are your what are your what's your take, Jared? I, I think the one thing about the game of baseball is that. <clears throat> the players and teams are always going to be looking for an edge. Like it's not just like a like an Astros sign stealing thing or steroids in the nineties. I mean, trying to get an advantage in this game has been a thing since it was first invented over a hundred years ago. Um, and I think what some fans may not realize is that these teams. It's not like. Uh, you know, like a major league roster, you have your your twenty six guys, your forty man roster, and everyone has a position and stuff like that. Different teams it have they just make up job titles. Like different teams will employ people just to get an edge some way somehow. So it's like there there might be a t- it's like the teams like the Astros and the Dodgers and and teams like that. They might have already hired someone to be like, how do we like your job right now is to figure out how we manipulate the pitch clock. Like, come up with certain ways to manipulate the pitch clock and, and the defensive shifts, and that's their job. So it it, it, do, it won't surprise me at all um, if we continue to see guys try to get creative to to get a competitive edge because that's, that's gamesmanship. Like, that's what, you know, when people uh, complain about, oh, they're speeding up the game and you're, you're, you're taking away the game within the game – They'll just make up new games within the game. It's like that. All right, this this is what the sport is now. This is what the pace is now. This is what the rules are now. What is the game within the game now? And I think that's what you saw with Max Scherzer. No, hundred percent, definitely. Um, Jared, how much time do we have with you? I don't know how much time you want. I got nothing to do. Um, I guess anyone else have any questions? Feel free to. Uh, Maddie, go ahead. Yeah, so uh, Jim, just to follow up on Jim's question here with the pitch clock. So, do you see? I, I'm a big fan of it. I, I like the pitch clock. I like the speeding up of the game. It's been great to me. I may be in the minority, but do you see it uh, influencing the a game or a, it, causing havoc down the line in the sense of oh, the, this team lost be, uh, because of a called strike? Uh, the pitch clock. Do you see it? Are you a fan of it? Number one, and then number two. Do you see it influencing the game or seating or anything like that? For yes, I'm a fan of it. I'm definitely a fan of it. I know it will influence games. 
Um, <clears throat> so I, I guess like the long winded answer there is I know that the veteran players hate it. It's almost like this is not the best comparison, but like when I was in high school, we didn't have to use like a hall pass. Like we could just ask to go to the bathroom. They would say yes. And we could get up and go. And then people started taking advantage of it. And then now you need to have like a hall pass. And now like you need, there's like checkpoints and you have to like sign in when you're in the hallway. And then it got to a point where like everyone had to wear like name tags. Like you couldn't just, you couldn't just like walk around unless you had like a badge on. It's like, thank God I graduated when I did. Cause I didn't have to do that. I think some of these veteran players that are at the end of their careers are like, you know, we see these changes coming, like they're using them in these, in the minor league games and whatever other leagues. And it's like, we see that the change is on the horizon. Like, let me just finish out my career before I have to deal with this. So any of the complaints that I've heard have been from guys sort of on the back end of their careers being like, I've been in the league for X amount of years and now I got to do all this bullshit. So I know that like players have complained to the players union about it, but at the end of the day, um, the, the younger players that it's almost like if you don't know anything different, then you don't care. Like the, like to go back to the high school comparison, if you were a freshman, the year that they started doing the, the passes and signing in, you got to wear the badge. Like you don't know any better. So you've got these minor league players telling you, yeah, I, I, I came up through the minor league system using the pitch clock. Like that's all I know. So now that I'm up in the big leagues and they have a pitch clock, like that's great because that's the game that I was conditioned to play. Um, and most of the guys that will tell you that they use the pitch clock down in the minor leagues, they're like, yeah, like it sucks for about a month and then everyone adjusts. Like if I had a dollar for every time that I heard the word adjust or adjusting or adjustment when I was in Fort Myers, just that one week, I would have a billion dollars. Like that's what everyone's talking about. We just got to make the adjustment. You just have to adjust to it. And they will like they're professional athletes. It's, uh, it's a pain in the ass, obviously, for them. Like, if you've been in the league for X amount of years and now you have to switch up the way that the game is played, um, I think that it's almost like a social experiment to see, you know, these guys are throwing 98 miles an hour. Are they still going to be able to do that when they don't have the time, the, the same amount of rest time in between pitches? Like, things like that. Like, the game will change. Uh, inevitably, it will have an impact where you're going to see a call like a strike on a, or a ball that's called because of the pitch clock that will have an impact on a win or a loss. And people will complain about that, but they will adjust and we'll see less and less and less of it. And then they won't be impacting games. And then they'll just be conditioned to play the game that uh, major league baseball wants baseball to be played under the pitch clock. Uh, I just want to take a pause um, to, you know, thank Jared for, being on i'm not ending it but you know if if you're somehow or if you're that person who just happens to not be following jared go do that what do you have to lose um if you like the conversation we're having right now you know go follow lands down bound go follow myself um you know we, we do these spaces a lot and you know go listen to our pod so um i don't know who's next um i think it might have been dave is next then uh craig and then jack uh, actually, I think Jack had his hand up before me, but it, it doesn't matter to me. Go ahead, Dave. All right, Jack. Thanks a lot. <clears throat> Jared, um, as I was just following you, I uh, I saw that, um, you, you know, you, you have something to do with DraftKings there. Yep. <clears throat> so, and I don't, I don't want to put you on the spot, so if you can't answer, you can't answer. Um, 
But one of my theories, and, and I think, Jason, I, I said it on the podcast this week, was um, the, uh, the, the, the pitch clock, maybe, may you know, a few of these rules that are put in might be, you know, for the benefit of, of Vegas. Um, you know, obviously, faster pace, live betting, more bets, more money. Uh, that's kind of what I was thinking about because, in my mind anyway, you know, it's never really been about gaining more fans. I, I don't, I don't think you're going to gain more fans by shortening the game ten or fifteen minutes. Um, so I've always thought, you know, since you know Vegas is a a much bigger part now that it's legalized. Um, that's always been my opinion. Why some of these role changes have come into place. Um, and again, I don't want to push you on the spot. So if you can't answer that, you know, uh, I, I respect it, but just giving you my opinion on that. And want to know yours. Yeah. I mean, so I think one of the most interesting things, and this is only for baseball that is going to be great. And I don't know, I, I don't know offhand who has the technology. I just know that it exists and I hope that it gets adopted by anyone that's in the gambling space, like hopefully DraftKings too. Um, but there is a way to bet on outcomes of each like, hitter. yeah, like you can, or each pitch. So you can be sitting there with your phone and it's like, all right, it's, it's a one, two count. Like you can bet like, you know, it's almost like penny slots where if you're just sitting there for an entire game and you're just betting on the outcome of every single pitch, it's like, all right, uh, it's 2-1, is going to be a ball, is going to be a strike, is it going to be a ball in play, like stuff like that, that's going to be revolutionary for the sport because, you know, I think you look at how baseball is like America's pastime, but the NFL clearly blew past everyone else. Like NFL isn't just in a completely different stratosphere. I think a lot of that has to do with sports betting. Um, I think that you know, it's, it's sports betting and it's fantasy football. Because you can't convince me that the NFL has that much of a superior product to MLB, NBA, whatever, NHL. Uh, I think a lot of it has to do with sports betting. So with sports betting getting legalized uh, in a lot of places now, I think what you're going to see is stuff like that. Like how do, we, um, how do we make sports betting with the game of baseball more intriguing. And I think obviously if you're doing it responsibly, like I don't think that anyone should be sitting there betting like, you know, a hundred bucks on, on the outcome of a single pitch. But if you're just sitting there, like throwing like 25 cents on every single pitch for, for a few innings, like that's, that's exciting. Like that's like, I, I think that the pitch clock obviously, and I've seen fans make this point of, we're speeding up the game to make the game more enjoyable for people that don't even like baseball. And like, we like baseball the way that it is. And it's like, well, I don't necessarily think that that's the best way to look at it. I think if we love baseball, you can love something more. Like I, I genuinely think, and this is talking to all the broadcasters, like Lou Maloney was over the moon about the pitch clock. This is a guy that's played major league baseball. He's been a broadcaster for major league baseball. Now he's in the Nesson, the Nesson booth. And he's going to be calling the games, and he loves it. So, if you're, and he, he's, he's, uh, I think he's like fifty. So he's one of like the the older fans, like not, not to age Lou. I love Lou, but uh, <laughs> if if you're one of these guys that is a baseball purist, and you're seeing it up close, like you're in the broadcast booth and you're watching these spring training games, and you love it, 
then all that says to me is that if you're if you're a diehard baseball fan and you're skeptical about it, you don't know how to feel about it. Trust the guys that that have his resume that are saying like this product is better. Um, so yeah, I mean, like I, I I've seen it myself. I, I love it based on my own opinion, but I'd be lying if I said that like lose enthusiasm for it didn't have an impact on how I felt about it too. Sure. And, and and like I said, I was more, you know, talking about the live betting, like you were saying, you know, you can bet on every pitch. Um, and, and, you know, I've seen it on Caesars and uh, I don't know if DraftKings has it yet or not, but, you know, Caesars, MGM, stuff like that, they all have it. Um, and I believe, uh, I think Lou actually said it the other day in a tweet, you know, I'm sure the fielders like it too, because who is a fielder, who wants to sit behind a pitcher who takes 30 or 40 seconds every pitch, you know, you kind of get lull, you, you know, and all of a sudden the ball's hit action, you're not ready. So uh, thank you again. That's a good point. Jack, go ahead. Jared, who do you think, uh, once once everybody gets healthy, who do you think is going to have a better season this year in the rotation? Bayo, a guy with a little more uh, ceiling, or Whitlock, a guy with a little bit more experience? Oh, man. Um I'm trying not to let my bias get in the way as someone who wants Whitlock to be in the bullpen. Um, because I think when I look at Whitlock and it's, it's, it's unfair to compare his numbers as a reliever compared to a starter because he was hurt. Um, but I keep going back to like the slider data and the swing and miss with his slider as a reliever was like 52%. And then it dropped to like 20 three percent as a starter so how much stock you can put in that with with the injury i don't think is fair um but then i look at the data on bayo over the month of september and i think like because i remember uh i don't live there anymore but i lived across the street from fenway last year and that was the most convenient thing ever because i had to do like a radio show with maz from like six to seven and I was able to still just run across the street and make it to Fenway for Bayo's major league debut against Tampa. And it's like that Bayo that night was completely different from the Bayo at the end of the season. Like you could see him start by start making adjustments, gaining confidence, getting better. And when you look at the two, um, Whitlock has more big league experience. Um, but I think that Bayo for me, uh, is the guy that, like, if you were gonna, if you were gonna put any stock into it, um, just has has the build for it. Um, I think, I, I think Whitlock is just like an elite reliever, and if he proves me wrong as a starter, great, I would love that. Um, but I think Bayo is just he's he's special, and I know that I I forget who said it the other day. Because I know that like Bayo's been working with Pedro, and everyone gets excited when it's like, "Oh, Pedro identified a guy that he thinks is the next big thing." But someone was like, "Well, he worked with Ruby De La Rosa too, and that didn't really work out." But uh, yeah, I just I see extreme upside in a guy like Bayo. But at the end of the day, both could end up being uh, above average big league starters. Um this this next question actually comes from one of our um, viewers. I think it's Grandstand Productions. Um, when Story comes back, how do you envision um, the position of Kike? Ooh. Um, 
So, obviously, when story comes back, there's there's no way to know a if he'll come back this year, and b there's so many moving parts. Like at second base, it's like, all right, well, what is Christian Arroyo? Uh, is Valdez factoring in to the equation? Um, you've got Duvall who can play center field, but Braves fans will tell you. You know, this is a guy that, yeah, he can play center field, but he's at his best offensively, which is why the Red Sox, I, I think, acquired him in the first place was because they had to scramble. Once Story goes down, you got to move Kike to short. And it's like, oh, now we need a center fielder. Oh, Adam Duvall can play center field. But uh, you look at this lineup, and it's like, who who's protecting Devers? Like, how, like it's all right, it's obviously going to be Justin Turner, but you needed more homers. Like, there, there wasn't a ton of power, so they go out and get a guy like Adam Duvall, it's like, all right, well, what if what if what uh, happened in Atlanta happens in Boston with Duvall, where it's like, all right, you're depending on this guy to be an everyday center fielder, but that dramatically has a negative impact on his offensive output. Um, so I, I know I, I when I was down at Fort Myers, I interviewed Kike, and I asked him point blank, like, you know, uh, do you prefer center field or do you prefer shortstop, or is it just, you know, wherever – you want to play like whatever, wherever the team needs you is where you want to be. And he was just like, you know, point blank. I, I want to play shortstop. Like that's, that's where I want to play. So it's going to be interesting to see by the time stories ready to come back. If he's ready to come back, what the other pieces look like. Um, Cause they, they, it's a lot of moving parts and someone is going to lose playing time somewhere. Uh, you know, if you've got Verdugo in right and you've got Yoshida in left, like where does Duvall go if he's raking at that point? How do you, where do you put Kike? Uh, do you ease Story back in by putting him at second base after the surgery? Does that mean that Christian Arroyo is now a utility guy? What if he has an OPS of like 850? Now what? Uh, it's a good problem to have, you know, having a lot of good players. Like if guys are, are performing to ex or to or above expectations, but, um, it's, it's kind of, it's too hard. It's impossible to tell, uh, what they'll do or how they'll handle it based on, uh, we need to see what guys are doing. No, exactly. And you know, it's, it's a wait and see game because one, it's never, it's never that bad to have too much depth Two, you know, you could be in a situation where a lot of people or not a lot of players, but maybe one or two players has an injury and you need that place to fill. If Duvall goes down, you know, you can place Kike there and then store it short. So it's it's all about you know waiting and see because like you said maybe story isn't even going to be ready. Um, Craig Teed, go ahead. Yeah, um, I guess I'll speak on the most recent point because I think it's kind of the the most pressing one. But um, I personally think that if Kike can perform as well as he, sort of the eye test tells you so far the spring training and all the reports that are coming out about him being you know, better than advertised, you know, athleticism-wise, hands-wise, everything at shortstop. Cora talked pretty highly about him, if I'm not mistaken, at shortstop. He was impressive. Um, I mean, why not put Trevor Story at second base? I mean, if, if Kike is doing as well as, as, you know, he's expected to, perhaps, and Story plays the way he did in limited action last year, I mean, that's a really dynamic, awesome, up-the-middle defense for the Red Sox. And, I mean, I... At, those who follow me on Twitter, like you'll know that I'm the eternal optimist, right? And and I definitely own that, and it's real. I'm not being fake about it. I really do love this team, and I want to hope for the best. But like, I don't think 
there will be the problem of there's not a spot for Trevor Story come, you know, him being healthy in July or August or, or at all the season. Um, I, there's going to be injuries. There's going to be guys that hit struggles. Um, and, I mean, best-case scenario, I mean, let me just be optimistic here for a second, like super unfamiliar territory for me. But if everyone's playing really well and, you know, Story has to knock someone out, else out, whether it be Arroyo if he's playing well or whatever, um, I mean, you're looking like, first of all, the Red Sox are going to be great if that's the case. Second of all, I mean, look at the Astros. The Astros trade away really good prospects for a backup catcher in Christian Vasquez. I mean, if we have the issue last uh, this season like the Astros did last year where they could afford to trade really good prospects just to have Christian Vasquez as their backup catcher on their bench basically I mean I'm feeling pretty good about the season I really wouldn't worry about it too much I don't think that's going to necessarily happen in terms of us having you know a plethora of guys and we just don't have enough spots in the lineup but hey if we are then we're going to be doing pretty damn well this year so yeah I mean I, I think one of the first questions that I answered was uh you know, who do I think is going to exceed expectations and who's like a sleeper guy? I said Yoshida. I think I want to change that to Christian Royal because <clears throat> I'm a huge Christian Royal guy. And I think when some fans think of Arroyo, they think injury prone XYZ. But I mean, this dude, uh, when he was missing games, it was because he got hit by pitches. Like this is not, and, and then he had COVID. So it's not like, Oh yeah, Christian Arroyo. Like we're just gonna roll him out here, and he's just gonna get hurt again. The the way that fans talk about Chris Sale, some some of them still talk about Christian Arroyo that way. And I'm like, I, I just don't get it. Uh, when he's in there every day, uh, I think that he's a guy that can can make an impact quietly. Um, I mean, solid solid defense when he's not, when he's not in right field, and uh, a, a guy that that can hit, and and he's huge in the clubhouse. They love that guy in there. So that would probably be my pick. Jack, go ahead, bud. Jim was first. Jim, take it away. Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, no, go ahead, Jack. You go. You go first. It's fine. Uh, thank you, uh, Jared. I had a quick question. What did you think about uh, seeing Mitchy two bags there today? And uh, thanks <laughs> for the royal. He's great. Uh, who was I talking to recently about Mitch Moreland? Where? He's like a dude that you send him a text and he'll get back to you like within 24 hours. Like he's just the prototypical, uh, just like country boy, steak and potatoes. He looks like he can he can still play. Uh, uh, yeah, Mitch Moreland is awesome. He was he didn't get enough credit for that 2018 team being one of the veteran leaders because they, like there were so many stars on that team that. Um, like Mitch Moreland's not the first name that that stands out to you, but he's just a great guy. I'm glad that he was there. I hope that uh, Casas got some time to to spend with him. Obviously, he's a he's a Gold Glove defender. He's he's been there, done that, won a World Series, first baseman from the left side, stocky guy. They got similar builds. Like that's a guy that I want to see Casas kind of follow around and and hopefully. Uh, you know, following the the same footsteps and 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 be like him, Doctor Jim. Yeah. Um, so my question is about uh, Yoshida. Um, you know, when he was signed, there was a lot of traction that he was going to be the leadoff guy, and then there's been a lot of talk that he doesn't have an interest in doing that. We see him now batting in spring training a little bit more in the heart of the order fourth spot and stuff like that. Jared, what's your take on that? Do you think 
that he was originally to be a, a leadoff guy, and there's been some talk about that to change it. What's what's your thoughts there? I think when you when you see a guy like Yoshida, who his bread and butter is getting on base, like you, it's the same money ball thing. Oh, guy gets on base, you're a leadoff hitter. Um, that's not necessarily the case. I mean, you don't have to you don't have to do that. I mean, um, it would be nice if it worked out that way. But the other thing too is he's a lefty, and um, I know that the Red Sox don't have an option. Like you're going to have lefty lefty somewhere in your lineup. And I've kind of moved towards, I don't think it would be, it would be wise for him to start there, but I hope where they end up is Casas leading off. I know he's not your prototypical, uh, lead off guy when it's like, Oh, well, you know, he's more of a power guy. He's, he's kind of the same way. He's, he's an on base guy. And, you know, it's like, oh well, you, you want your you want your power threat to be you know three four like two three four somewhere in there. I mean, Mookie Betts let off, and that dude was popping homers too. He doesn't look like a power hitter, but he was he was launching bombs from the leadoff spot. Uh, a guy like Ellsbury in twenty eleven when he was he should have won the MVP, but he was runner up. Like he was hitting bombs out of leadoff spot. So just because you hit homers doesn't mean that you shouldn't lead off. Um, so. If everything works out and Casas becomes the hitter that he's been projected to be, that's where I like him. Um, but also, you know, I, I didn't hear anything about Yoshida preferring not to lead off. But if he doesn't, it's not the end of the world. Like, you can you can bat him a little bit lower. You can bat him. Uh, like, I've seen them tinker with him uh, hitting fourth. You know, if you go... Whoever's going to lead out, like say it's Kike, you got Kike, you got Devers. They, they pretty much put in Sharpie that Devers is going to be a second guy. Uh, you've got to have Turner protecting Devers, and then you can put you can put Yoshida right there. He's not he's not your prototypical cleanup guy, um, but you want you want your best hitters uh, getting those plate appearances. So uh, yeah, I would say I would say he's probably going to be your your cleanup hitter. The one point that you made about uh, Casas leading off, and I've heard some and read some things about that as well. With Mookie, I, I know he wasn't your prototypical guy that looked like a power hitter, but he had the speed. So, you know, even though he didn't steal a hell of a lot of bases as the years went on, he still had he still was a speedy guy where Casas doesn't project to be that kind of guy. So wouldn't it make more sense to maybe have more of a con- and I know Costas plans to be a more of an on base guy, more walks and things like that. So you are going to get a higher on base percentage, we hope. But wouldn't it make a lot more sense to maybe have a smaller, scrappier, faster guy leading off that uh, fits more of a prototypical than Costas would? Sure, but who's they don't have that guy. Like they they have guys that have speed, but do those guys get on base? Like Mondesi got speed. Does he get on base? Not really. Duran, we'll see. Is he even going to make the roster? Don't think so. So it's like Duran's got speed. Bobby Dahlbeck's got speed. Is he going to make the roster? Probably not. Uh, is he? Is he a good leadoff hitter? No. Too much swing and miss. So I, like that was kind of like the the thought process for a long time. You put your fastest guy as your leadoff guy. It doesn't matter. Like they weren't looking at on base percentage then. They were they were focused on let's get a guy uh, who's really fast. So if he gets on first base. Then he can steal, and now he's in scoring position for two, three, four. It's like, all right, but what if your leadoff hitter is a guy that gets on base a lot, like Casas, 
And what if he has power and he can just, instead of working a walk or hitting a, a, a single, what if he just starts off at second base because he just drove a double off the wall? So Jared, it's not like – I wouldn't consider Casas to be some sort of like bases clogger. He's not a speed demon, but I wouldn't be like this guy can't have him on the base path. Thoughts on Verdugo leading off? I know that he's uh, his brother was talking about that on on Twitter about how he approached Verdugo about uh, like you should tell the Red Sox that you want to lead off, and I don't know where those conversations went. I know that they've kind of they've tried him there a couple times in spring training. Um, you know his. His on base is okay. It's not like uh, like I would. I guess it, it, we ha- a lot of these guys and Duran being another one. When you talk about Verdugo, he could be a completely different player this year. Like if he came into camp in a more athletic build with a, it's it's almost like what happened to Andrew Benintendi when he bulked up and he was trying to hit all these home runs and they were like, just make contact, just put the ball in play, and then he did that, but it just wasn't here. Like he did that in. Uh, Kansas City, and he turned himself into an all-star. So maybe that's what happens to Verdugo this year. We don't know. Like, we still have to see it. But if Verdugo just becomes this doubles machine, then I would love him in the leadoff spot. Hey, Jared, you know the World Baseball Classic's on and I think, in like 15 minutes? Sure do. Oh, boy. You excited? I'm very excited. I'm, uh, I'm repping my home country, the Dominican Republic. Okay. Um, back to the Verdugo point. Do you, do you do you think this is a uh, a prove it year for Verdugo? Yeah, I, I think that he looks at it that way too. I think that he um, he definitely does not want to. Um, when Alex Cora was asked like who's going to make the most improvements this off season, he didn't say. Oh, there's a couple of guys that you know, like could could come into camp in better shape. Like he immediately just went Verdugo. Like that was the guy that Cora singled out, and Verdugo was very candid about. You know, at first that kind of pissed me off. Like I didn't necessarily love that he singled me out, but um, it lit a fire under me, and and I got to work. So some guys need to be motivated that way. Like Eddie Rodriguez was that way. Um, which I think in the end is why he had such a great relationship with Cora was because, you know, th- there's certain people that can talk to you a way that other people can't. And I think Alex is a manager that because he's so knowledgeable, because he played the game, because, you know, he's been there and done that. He's won a world series. Uh, and he was a role player. So he, when he's talking to guys like Arroyo and Kike who, uh, they were role players, and now they're trying to become everyday players. Like he can relate to all of that. Uh, so when when it comes from a guy like him versus like Dan Shaughnessy writing a column, being like Verdugo needs to be better, it's like, well, what do you know? You look like Bozo the Clown. But if Alex Cora says it, then it's like, all right, like that lit a fire under me, and and I'm going to be better because of it. Dave, go ahead. <clears throat> um. So, uh, I'm going to backtrack a little bit to what Craig said earlier about story. And then, um, uh, when story was going to sign with the Yankees, they were, you know, there was talk about that. They actually talked about him playing some center field. Um, so apparently he's, he's had obviously some experience out there. Usually, you know, 
if you're the best athlete, usually you come up playing center field or shortstop, you know, like Robin Yount, um, that type of thing. But um, the other thing, uh, and, and you can never have too much talent up the middle, right? So the other thing, too, like with the leadoff hitter, <clears throat> back to Jared and, and, and what Jim was saying earlier, um, as for the speed factor, you know, it, it, you only lead off really once a game. I mean, Kyle Schwarber, heck, he was he was one heck of a leadoff hitter, and and he he was no speed demon, but we all love to see those first inning four hundred footers. You know what I mean? Um, and and then later in the game, obviously, you know, he could come up with the, with the man or two on, and you know, change a game. Um, by the way, Jim, I'm not knocking anything you said. I'm just point uh, just pointing something out there. Um, but uh, I've always, I personally think Kike, right now anyway, it, it, it may change. I think Kike should be the leadoff hitter right now. Um, and I'm only basing that upon what I saw him do, you know, when he got hot, real hot, and I think it was like the last 50 games or something like that in 2021, you know, he and J.D. Martinez love the league in extra base hits and total bases and stuff like that. So, you know, he's the guy who can get streaky, get explosive. And uh, like you said, maybe Casas might be that guy. Um, oh, and then Arroyo. I think Arroyo definitely went high in the draft. I'm not sure if he was number one, but I, I know he went pretty high uh, at the time. Um, he was the first rounder. He was a first rounder. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, I, th- I thought he went pretty. So yeah, I I I like Arroyo. I've always liked Arroyo, and um, uh, I don't know if he'd be a good leadoff guy, but I think he's more of a guy who can. Uh, I mean, he's got he's got a little pop in his bat. And um, back to what you said about Yoshida, I actually like Yoshida in the clamp spot. If he's if he's a contact guy, if he can pepper the wall, um, lengthen that lineup out a little bit. You know, uh, I think he lengthens the lineup out better by hitting four than he would hitting one. Um, so just your thoughts on that and uh, and what I said about Craig with uh, Story playing the outfield. I think, like, if if you have Trevor Story in the outfield coming off of a major surgery on the elbow, then you're in bad shape. Like, you, that's not where you want uh, a guy coming off that kind of surgery playing uh, would be the outfield, which is why, like, the, the second base thing is intriguing because, uh, A, he proved that he can do it, and he can do it at a very high level. We'll see what is doing by that, that time, if that time even comes. But with Kike leading off, I think you'll see it um, just because <clears throat> they'll want to they'll wanna have that right left out of the gate. Like, I, I think, like I said, you're, the, the left left is unavoidable like you're gonna have left left at some point in your lineup just because they have so many guys that hit left-handed um i don't know that they love having that out of the gate one two so maybe it is kike that's leading off because you know you're getting devers too um but i just think the lineup is better and it looks longer if you have kike down the bottom i think if you're if you're having him lead off then uh, that means that you're going to have, you know, it's just not, it's not, I, I don't, I just don't think that it's the 
the most conducive lineup to run scoring. Want to go to Thank you. Go to Craig Teed? Yeah, I spend a ton of time, probably an unhealthy amount, thinking about like what the lineup variations are going to be and stuff like that. So I've definitely thought about the different elements to it. And I think the most important thing for the Red Sox this year is going to be having someone hitting in front of Devers that will be a good base runner. I think there's a lot of talk about you know speed. Speed's obviously important. But at least in prior years, Duran is a speed demon, and he's not a very good base runner. He's not very smart um, when it comes to on the bases. That's something that can change for sure. But there's guys like, um, you know, on the team, like I think Kyle Schwarber, for the most part, was a pretty good base runner. I mean, when he could take the extra base, he did. He had good reads with the balls off the bat um, and, you know, getting good jumps, getting good secondary leads. It's fundamental stuff. But I think when you have a guy like Devers who's could pop 35, 40 home runs in a healthy season pretty easily. Um, you got to have a guy who can get on base, the on-base percentage like we talked about, but I don't think it's necessarily speed, but it's more so, you know, good, you know, reads off the bat who can get that good secondary lead who's not going to make outs on the base pass, right? Because obviously having Devers up there, he's going to be an RBI machine if you just get on base. So whether it's trotting around the bases um, or it's, you know, trying to go first to third, or, you know, whatever. I mean, I think that it's more so being a good fundamental base runner that's going to be important. And I also like Yoshida in the four spot because I think after the first inning, I don't know who said it, but um, after the first inning, you got to think of the lineup almost in thirds, right? Like, obviously, the leadoff guys is really important right out of the gate, set the tone. But after that, it's like one through three, four through six, you know, seven through nine, and, and you can kind of take segments of that, whether it's eight, nine, and one, whatever. But you got to have that sort of talent, that on-base ability, that power potential kind of spread out through the lineup. And that's one of the reasons why I like having Kike further down is that he's a really good mistake hitter. If you watch his home runs, it's usually on uh, pitches that are absolute pus. But, like, the point is is that he will get his fair share of those. And if he can make, if he can make the most of those pitches, he can hit 15, 20 home runs. And to have a guy like that hitting down towards the bottom of the lineup with a little bit of speed, a little bit of athleticism to turn it over, I mean, that's super important. So I don't know if the leadoff guy would be like a Christian Arroyo um, who can put the ball in play, get on base. You know, he if he can be a smart base runner, I really don't remember much about his base running, to be honest. But um, I know that he's had his share sometimes of kind of bonehead base running plays. But if he can be smart about it, I think he could do that job. Um, you know, I, I do like Verdugo if he can if he can uh, take that step this year. But I, I guess the long or short of it is, um, I wanted to make that point about the base running element versus just pure speed. And then also, like the lineup feels a little bit more balanced and a little bit deeper this year. Obviously, we lost JD, we lost you know Xander, but it felt very top heavy last year, and it made it such that when those guys struggled, we basically had no one in the lineup who was hitting. Now we have, you know, a more balanced lineup that even if a couple guys hit their rough stretches, which they will, um, other guys can pick them up. And it just feels like a deep lineup. It feels like, you know, six, seven, and eight is actually going to be pretty damn good. Whereas last year, you know, sometimes it was like, you know, the boneyard at that at that point. So um, I don't know. I feel pretty good about it, but I'm, I'm excited to see what kind of orientation um, Alex, you know, puts into place with the different, uh, you know, combinations in the lineup. And to uh, the point about calling out Verdugo, I mean, I, I think that's just a testament to who AC is. I mean, he knows the players really well. And he probably knew that Verdugo would take it to heart and get him sort of pissed off. But at the same time, that would make him put in the work this offseason. And, I mean, the team might reap the benefits. And I, I, I would assume that he cares about Verdugo, too. And, I mean, he's going to be coming up on a, on a walk year here pretty soon if he doesn't get an extension. So, um, obviously, it's in his best interest to perform and to reach his potential. So, 
um, I think that he kind of knew that that would light a fire under him, and that's why I like AC, one of the main reasons. So, I want to take a moment to welcome everyone on this space. Um, like I said, I think about half an hour before, if you are somehow and some way not following Jared, go do that now <laughs> or or else. I don't know. Um, Jared, you want to you wanna reap the drawbacks of not following you? Um, <clears throat> I don't know. I feel like I, I follow me kind of sucks. Um, okay. Um, <laughs> um, blue moon. Drink a blue moon. Drink a blue moon. Um, if you're liking the space, go check out Lands Down Bound. That's where we all write articles for a site. Go follow me. Go follow my co-hosts and everyone else associated with that, along with Jared. Um, Jack, go ahead. Uh, Jared, I got a fan question for you related to Nick Pavetta. Um, so the question is, do you think he has the chance to return to his 2021 playoff form where he was pitching elite? He had that fire in him. And, I mean, we've seen the potential he has. I think last year he went on a huge stretch. I think sometime in June maybe where he was pitching really well. He just really hasn't been able to piece it together for a full season. So do you think he can? Um, I, I think we've seen – enough of Pavetta to know what he is and I'll take it. I, I think with Pavetta, you're going to get your stretches where he's amazing. Like he's, you know, you'll get a guy that can go out there, give his seven shutout innings and he'll punch out, you know, eight guys or whatever. And then you'll get your stretches where he just absolutely blows up. Um, that's it's, it's not a trend anymore when it just kind of is essentially your entire career. Um, that's not to say that I don't like Nick Pavetta. I do. I, I think, uh, you know, he's a guy that's very valuable. And we were talking about that earlier about uh, just guys that can give you innings um, shouldn't be taken for granted. You know, we're not in an era where you look up and you just have uh, the top third of the starters in the league are throwing 200 innings. And I, I don't even think that uh, like every year we see fewer and fewer pitchers throw 200 innings. And I'm not saying the Pavetta will throw 200 innings, but he makes all of his starts and that has value to, to me. I'm sure that has value to the Red Sox, especially when you've put together a rotation of um, some guys that have injury histories and they're, they're older. And uh, um, I, I think it's again, I, with the pitch clock thing, I don't know if, injuries are going to be conducive to the pitch clock when you're talking about max effort, like a Chris Sale power pitcher, and you've got to now uh, have less time in between your pitches. Like, is, is that conducive to, to fatigue? I'm sure it is. I mean, like, that's just, that's just human nature. So when you talk about a guy like Nick Pavetta going out there and being able to pick up the slack when, um, you know, if, if you do have a guy on the injured list, uh, there's there's value there but in terms of are we going to see the the 2021 playoff event i mean that guy was i was at, like when i get bored i just i rewatch games and i was watching that game probably like two weeks ago and i just forgot like i always thought it was like two two winning whatever it was i mean he he went out there and i'm pretty sure the final out of every inning that he pitched in that playoff game was a strikeout like he would just go out there punch everyone out, like scream going back to the dugout and be like, yep, this is the inning that we're going to walk it off. And then you just see him go back out there and go back out there and go back out there. 
keeping up at home playoff energy is obviously very hard to do uh, over 162 games. Um, I, I think as far as what Pavetta's ceiling is, it, it, he can be a good starting pitcher. He's not going to be great. Like he's not going to be a one, two, three. He's, he's a fine four five at the big league level. And that's really all they need him to be. Maddie, go ahead. Jerry, can I take you back to winter weekend really quickly? Please. Okay. Uh, I, I love the stuff, so thank you so much for the questions and everything there. Of course. Um, so I wanted to touch upon your question that you had for John about, you know, the, just the Red Sox being just another piece of the portfolio. Yep. Um, and he's also made comments like baseball players are expensive and tongue-in-cheek comments about what could you have done differently about Xander bid, bid 12 years instead of 11, <laughs> yeah. you know, th- things like that. Do you think that he was sincere by saying that they are still a top priority, and do you see him being the owner long-term? I, I do think that he was sincere in his responses. Um, I think he was probably caught off guard by my line of questioning. <laughs> like, the behind the scenes on that was essentially they told me you can ask whatever you want. And they said like, you know, ask whatever you want, but no personal questions. And I was like, I don't care about their personal lives. Like I'm here to talk about baseball. So if any baseball question is on the table, then I'm going to like come in hot with like the first couple of questions here. And like the, my first question was about Xander. And my second one, I think was the one where I was like, do you, still care about the Red Sox. Like, is this like you have a portfolio of teams? Um, are the Red Sox still a priority to you? And that was the infamous video clip of him, like looking at his watch and some fans interpreted that as, you know, how much time do we have left? Like, get me off the stage. I, I interpreted it as, do you know how long I've been here? Like I, I, I've owned this, like how, you know how long I've been doing this for? You think I'm not invested? I've been here since 2002. Like that's kind of how I took it. But because you had an angry mob in the crowd, uh, and fans were obviously pissed off and some of them still are pissed off. And I get it. I'm not saying no, people don't have a right to be pissed. They definitely have a right to be pissed. Um, but I took the watch thing as a, like, does this, kid over here know how long I've been here and you're going to tell me that I don't care about the Red Sox when I've been the owner since 2002 so I think you know I've, I've asked around because at this point I, I've built up enough relationships in the organization where you know people people trust me and because I'm not a reporter like I, I'm just if I ever ask someone with the team a question I'm asking based on my own curiosity so that I can form my own opinions that are based in fact. And that's kind of how I pitch it to them. Like, I'm not breaking news. I'm not going to go tell someone anything that you said to me. So I, I, I do poke around and I'll ask, like, do you think John Henry still cares? Like, do you think that John Henry is invested in the team? And I've yet to have a single person behind the scenes when they're off the record be like, yeah, no, he, he don't give a shit no more. Like, I don't, I don't ever come across that as a response. Um, which is interesting. I mean, like, I, I don't think that they would blow smoke up my ass. I don't think that that's in their best interest to do. Um, 
so yeah, I mean, like coming from personal experience and, and asking around, cause I, I don't work there. Like I, I can't tell you firsthand whether or not John Henry cares. Um, but I can tell you that from asking people who work underneath him, do you think he still cares? I've yet to have someone say no. Should have asked them about Trash Island. I got. I just gotta say that again. I know. I, next time I, he'll be. He would. You, you think he would have like looked at his watch and been like, "That would have been the one where he's like, how much time?" Yes, left exactly. Um, Jim, go ahead. Yeah, for my question, just to remind everybody, uh, Blue Moon, suck one, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, so, anyway, uh, this is actually from one of our listeners, Jared. He was talking about uh, the pitch clock, and he had a concern about it's going too quickly. Not the game, but, you know, for the for the fact of the injury of the pitchers, uh, not having that time in between that's enough to kind of regroup and things like that. Do you see that being tweaked somewhere down the road? Maybe not 15 seconds, maybe 20, 25. What's your thoughts there? I was, uh, when I was down at Fort Myers, there were uh, some people in the press box that were talking about, like, it should be 20. And um, I kind of agree with that, like 20 seconds, plenty of time. It, it's, it's also, like, think about it this way. If you're a home plate umpire, Think about how confusing your job just got. Like you're looking out there and you are looking at the pitcher to deliver a pitch within 15 seconds. The catcher has to be in his like little box here. Doesn't have to be squat position, but has to be either standing or squatting by nine seconds. And the hitter has to be engaged looking at the pitcher within eight seconds. And then you have to call a ball or a strike on a hundred mile an hour fastball that you can barely even see like that's their job now. Uh, so I think maybe, I mean the, the, the umpires union is a very strong union as we know, maybe the umpires, you, you, you think about the players being like, I don't want to deal with this for 15 seconds. Like that's too quick. What about the umpires that have a, a whole checklist of things that they've got to look at and then correctly call ball or strike all within 15 seconds. Like that's, it's it's quick and and you've got to do it over and over and over again. Uh, that's that's a lot to ask of of these individuals, professional or not. Um, so I, I could I could see it going to twenty seconds, but I think what they'll probably end up doing is I, if they do make that change, I don't think we'll see it right away. I think it's like you know we'll, we're we're going to need a larger sample size to see if fifteen seconds works or not. We can't just play. Uh, a handful of spring training games and be like, yo, this is too quick. It's like, well, what if they adjust? And and I, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that they do adjust. And the follow-up to that, we had another one of our listeners ask, uh, he's not a Red Sox fan, but he's a uh, fan of America's team. Okay. Uh, so he wanted to know, what do you think about America's team overtaking the Astros? Is it possible? Do we see that happening? No, uh, I don't. I don't particularly think it's possible, but uh, I do think that the Mariners can find a way back to the postseason for sure. Um, you know, I, I it was awesome. I went to Seattle. I was at that game that went eighteen innings, the wild card game. It was a lot of fun. Uh, it was actually very painful because you know it's been twenty something years, twenty one years since they've been in the postseason. So not a single Mariners fan sat down for the entire time. So if you wanted to see then you had to stand for the entire five-hour baseball game, which also was not the first 18-inning playoff game that I went to because I went to the one in L.A. in the World Series. Uh, so 
I think their path to the postseason, there definitely is one. I think that we we will see them go back, but they're just not better than the Astros, and I don't think that there is a team in the entire American League that can say that they have that distinction. So you're taking the under on the wins. What is the over-under for Seattle? Oh, I thought you were talking about America's team, too. That is America's team. Seattle Mariners. Oh, wait, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Teed, go. Yeah, um, the point that you made, Jared, on the uh, on everything that the umpires have to do, like, I honestly hadn't even thought about that. It's a good point. But, I mean, the counter to that could potentially be, like, I don't know, as an umpire, the the level of focus that you need, right? If you, if a pitcher's spending, like, upwards of 35, 40 seconds between pitches, like, you know, fixing himself and, like, kind of waiting and then stepping off and, you know, mound visit, whatever. I mean, it, it keeps them kind of on their toes a little bit. I feel like from a mental perspective, they might, after a while, like, obviously all these things are adjustments. After a while, the players aren't going to commit as many infractions or whatever it's called, um, and the umpires are going to get used to it. I feel like the, the level of engagement that the umpires will have in the game, and, and given the fact that it speeds up, I think might be a factor sort of in the, in the positive note. Um, but I agree. I, I said pretty early on too. I think twenty seconds is is probably the um, the way to go. But we'll sort of see how it ends up working. I, I'm hoping that there's fewer infractions as the games go on because I personally get super confused because when we don't see the pitch clock and the umpire just like points to his wrist and then is like, okay, that's a you know that's a whatever, and he doesn't even really call it a strike or a ball right away. I'm like super confused for like a solid ten seconds until the you know the broadcast figures it out or whatever. So. I'm kind of hoping that that gets figured out. Um, and then I wanted to speak on the pitch clock thing and something I was concerned about from the team perspective. I mean, Chris Sale moves, works really fast. There's a bunch of guys who work fast. Whitlock does too, so I'm looking forward to having him hopefully not have many issues. But um, I was worried about uh, Jansen, given that he was one of the slowest pitchers in the league, Don't if be. not the slowest. And I he wasn't, him. dude. He was, he, was, he was dynamite. He was just like, boom, grab it and throw it. And that might honestly be good for him. Um, and that would be really cool to see if it is. But, I mean, that was really my only concern going into spring training and what I was looking for for the pitch clock was how Jansen was going to do. And, I mean, he passed with flying colors, in my opinion. Yeah, I watched him on the backfield. Uh, he was, like, facing live hitters. I think he faced, like, three different guys in a rotation. And uh, <clears throat> I, I took out my phone, and I timed him every time. He was He was delivering a pitch at 10 seconds every single time. So... I mean, that, that dude's a beast, too, man. I mean, seriously, that guy, if he's, like, constantly moving and he's not, like, stopping and then doing the little hip thing, if he's, like, taking the ball, throwing it, that dude's got, what is he, like, 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, and he's, like, giant. Like, that's pretty intimidating. I'm I'm looking forward to watching him pitch, man. He's massive. He's massive. Dave, go ahead. Um, yes, you know, uh, you were just talking about Seattle last year. That ball club kind of reminds me of Boston's club this year where, um, you know, uh, I know they traded for Santana late in the year and uh, they had, you know, one real good stud, you know, Ty France on the team. Um, But the offense was pretty anemic all year. And, you know, Boston's offense looks to be a little better than that, but they had that one thing. They had that dominant bullpen. Um, you know, sure, their starters weren't, you know, overly phenomenal, but they got you there, 
And then once that bullpen took over, uh, you know, you, you, you were, you, you saw how far they went. Now, you know, I'll bet they blew, they blew that huge, huge lead they had in game one, I believe it was against Houston. Um, not, not a good time for that bullpen to implode, but, uh, you know, I, I just, I see a lot of similarities between the two teams. Um, only the Red Sox having a little bit better of an offense this year than they did last year. And, um, if it does come to that, you know, maybe Boston, who knows, maybe they go out and they grab a bat or they, you know, grab a guy who can give them six innings somewhere. You know what I mean? Some, something cheap like that. Yeah, the Mar- the Red Sox last year were a better run scoring team than the Mariners last year. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm just saying this year, they, there's a, you know, they remind me a lot of last year's Mariners, this, this year's team. Real, real strong bullpen. We'll see. I mean, we'll see. I mean, I know that uh, I said earlier that I'm I'm high on uh, Chris Martin, but I've also heard some people say that they're they're not quite impressed because you know the guy just had a, a really good second half last year and turned that into a deal in Boston this year, and uh, everything outside of his his uh, his half season last year was uh, mediocre at best, but. We'll see. I mean, Chris Martin. He's. I. I saw him too. He's huge. He's just as big as Kenley. They're. They're monsters. Yeah, it's always good for a picture. Uh, you know, for, for to hold up anyway. And um, you know, as long as long as they're you know they throw quality strikes. You know, uh, I know I brought this up in the spaces the other night, but you know, I, I'm sure you were frustrated with it also. But you know, Sawamura would come in, and you know. How many three or two counts did we see? Uh, you know, f- not just from him, but from all these guys. They come in; it's always three and two, three and one. Every single hitter. It's like, guys, trust your stuff. Don't be afraid to throw a strike. You know, uh, it, it just gets frustrating after a while. Yeah, and we'll see though. I mean, I, I I like where the pen's at, and I think that there's a depending on what Whitlock's role is. Let's say things pan out to where he does end up in the bullpen, it, it can really only get better. Xander Bogarts is on my TV right now, which I absolutely love. Cuba and the Netherlands right now. Who do you got for that game? Uh, Cuba's probably going to dust them, but <laughs> at least we get to see Xander in a, in a uniform that's not the Padres. <laughs> um, Jack, go ahead. Yeah, Jared, uh, on the topic of the bullpen – once the season kind of gets settled in a little and we've seen a little bit of each guy, who do you think is most likely to establish themselves as the number one setup guy uh, in front of in front of Jensen? Do you think it's going to be Schreiber, Hauk, Martin, a different guy? Ooh. Um, I, I, to be honest, I don't know the answer to that. But, I, like, you mentioned Schreiber. And that's a guy that I'm really interested to see if he can repeat last year. Definitely, uh, I, I know that it, you know every year it's someone different. Where you know you've got uh, Garrett Whitlock came out of nowhere, and it's like, all right, well now he's a guy, and can he maintain it? And when he was in the bullpen, yeah, he could. With Schreiber, it's like, what does year two look like? Because I mean, if he can, if he can be the guy that he was. I mean, they, they ran him into the ground. Um, 
if he can be the guy that he was before he sort of burnt out towards the end of the year, like that's a that's a big weapon to have when you've got uh, a number of arms at the back end of your bullpen that can that can get big outs for you. Um, so I, I mean, I'm I'm very intrigued to see now that um, you've gone out there and you've acquired an established closer and how that that pushes everyone else down a slot because you were trying everything out in the closer spot last year. Like you had Matt Barnes and you had Tanner Houck and you were trying Gary Whitlock at points. It's like, all right, well now you have a guy Like you have a guy in the ninth inning. So that slots everyone else down. And to, to really answer your question, I, I don't, I think gone are the days of like, all right, we got Daniel Bard in the eighth and Jonathan Papelbon in the ninth and Hideki Okajima in the seventh. Like I, I like that just doesn't really exist now. It's like, all right, uh, who's who's hot? Like who who's who's feeling it right now that can go get us some? Like we we've got two, three, four coming up in in the eighth inning. Uh, who who's throwing the piss out of the ball right now that can that can get us these outs? And um, the Red Sox right now, I think, have put themselves in a position to where they're going to have options, and it's uh, the best teams. Like uh, you know, we're talking about the Seattle Mariners and their their bullpen. They didn't have like established eighth inning guy it's like all right we've we've got a or, or like tampa a couple of years ago when they went to the world series and they had their stable um they've got guys and it, i wouldn't say that um the red sox pen is as talented as as uh tampa's a couple of years ago or um seattle's last year but they've got guys they've got options and that's always a good thing want to welcome our new speakers on um let's see Jim, who who would you let in first? Uh, Pat would be the first one. Yeah, thanks everybody for putting this thing on and ironically kind of pig, piggybacking off of what Jared was just going at. But I uh, I tend to put myself in the bucket of Craig Wright kind of being a, a uh, dare I say, an eternal optimist about this team, always kind of seeing the, the best case scenario. Uh, but at the same time... Jared, to use kind of what you've talked about for the last couple of years, it's like last year, everything that could have gone wrong with this team did go wrong, right? And so this year is kind of a what-if year, right? And so I think there's a lot of reasons to think that this team will overperform what the expectations are. I think there's a lot of reasons to think, hey, the veterans that are coming in, so on and so forth, this team will do well. My question, though, to in part to temper my own and a lot of people's expectations is – what do you think could end up being the Achilles heel for this team? Like what's the place that we don't have enough, enough depth or things end up going wrong? Cause look again, it's not a world series or bus team. It's also not like, I don't think we're a bottom eight to 10 team in the league. I think we're going to be competing for October baseball. It's not a gimme. Um, but what do we think that potential one week spot that maybe we need to make a move at the trade deadline or somewhere between now and then could be? Um, I, I'm going to remove the obvious, and that's obviously health. Uh, the Achilles heel will be, you know, can the rotation stay healthy? Um, can Devers stay healthy? If you lose Devers, that, like, on this, it's on a much smaller scale. But think about last year's Yankees team. Like, what if Aaron Judge got hurt? What is that team without Aaron Judge? Like, they're they're not a playoff team. Like, Aaron Judge carried that team to the postseason, um, only to get dusted by the Astros. But uh, 
I think you're the, the one thing that could, I don't want to say sink the ship. It's more so the one thing that they'll have to address at some point if they, if they truly uh, plan on contending or let's say, let's say they've got like a 600 winning percentage going into the trade deadline, but they've got a weakness. It's going to be, it's going to be the power. Like where, where's the pop coming from? And I know that like Cora made this point. It was tongue in cheek, but it's also the truth. When someone asked him, you know, how are you going to replace the power in the lineup? And he was more or less like, I'm paraphrasing, but you know, he's like, yeah, JD and Xander aren't here anymore, but they didn't really hit home runs last year. Like he's, he's right. <laughs> like, yeah, you lost, like in our minds, we think Xander JD and we're like, Oh my God, like those guys are absolute pillars in the lineup. And yeah, they are like, they, they were, um, but they didn't, they didn't hit for power last year. So I think at some point, if they are serious about at least staying in the mix, because let's face it, like that's like best case scenario. They're going to, they're going to be looking at the sixth or the fifth seed in the postseason, which is not impossible. Like I'm not looking at this team and being like, Oh, you know, like bridge year can be used. Fine. If you want to use the term bridge year, that's fine. But there have been teams in bridge years that have made the postseason, especially now, like <clears throat> we're in an era as of last year where, there's never been more teams to make the postseason, so it, it's it's not impossible. Um, but if if there is going to be a weakness somewhere down the line, and we're not talking about health, like if we're presuming everyone is healthy, then the Achilles heel will be where where's the power coming from? Um, especially you know if if you're just depending on Rafael Devers to drive in all these runs, he's only one guy. Um, Craig, I think you're next. Yeah, um, I put it in the space chat, but I, I think that once qu- the news came out and everything was swirling around about Corbin Burns, that seems like an obvious, you know, target potentially if, if the Brewers don't still have him, uh, or if the, sorry, if the Brewers do still have him at the trade deadline, especially if the Red Sox are, are serious about competing. Um, I mean, he would slot into, you know, the number one or two spot in any playoff rotation pretty much. I mean, unless you're, you know, a couple few teams in the league. So, I mean, think about having Chris Sale and Corbin Burns as your playoff one and two. I mean, that's a team that can make a serious run in the playoffs. So if the Red Sox are serious um, and they're looking like in really good shape come trade deadline and he's still on the table, I mean, I think that they go they should go hard for him. I know that's probably like an easy choice, but... Um, I would say you can't be too top heavy in a playoff rotation, and I, I think very highly of Corbin Burns specifically. So um, I, I think that that would be a really cool thing to see. Um, and uh, and I agree, like from the power perspective, but I don't think it's going to play out to be as big of a deal as, as we think. I think there's going to be a bunch of guys who can hit 15, 20 home runs on this team, and I think it's going to be pretty balanced. I mean, I do think that it really just depends on on who stays healthy, um, and and it's impossible to know that. I mean, Devers obviously looked a little hobbled at the end of, of last year, so I'm still kind of hoping that he can stay healthy all this year. Um, but assuming he does, I mean, it, that'll be great. One thing I do want to say about um, sort of the surprise player, since I never gave it, um, I I think really highly of Bayo. I think he's going to be an absolute stud. And I was saying that when he had like a eight and a half ERA through like his first two or three starts in like July or August or whatever last year. And I thought the stuff already looked great. It's just a matter of putting it together. But um, I think that we're going to see a surprise year out of Corey Kluber. And I know that's kind of like a, a weird take. And he's like, you know, he's 37, almost 38, I think now, but, um, or he's turning 37 soon. But 
Um, I think he's just a, a consummate professional. I think he knows how to pitch. I think that he can hit his spots. Um, I've been impressed with what I've seen so far. You know, in spring training, obviously the results, you know, you don't really take him for much, but the guy only walked like 3% of batters last year. It's crazy. It's like top in the league. Um, and I, I truly think that he could put together a really solid season. I was looking back to the, the blip on the radar that was Rick Porcello's 2016 Cy Young season. And I mean, the year before that, he was like, 10 and 18 or something with the Red Sox, something crazy like that with like a, almost a five ERA. And then he comes, turns around and goes 22 and four with a 3.2 ERA. And I mean, Rick obviously had a different arsenal. He was about like 90 to 93 with the fastball pitched up in the zone. Then went you know, 12, six with the breaking ball. But I mean, he wasn't a blow it by you guy. His stuff wasn't like, you know, put away or just absolutely like disgusting. I just think he was, he'd learned how to use his stuff to the best of his ability. And I think that that's like Corey Kluber in a nutshell. So do I think he'll win the Cy Young this year? No, I'm not. <laughs> I'm optimistic, but I'm not that crazy. But I think that people really haven't talked about his addition um, to this team. And I do think he'll have a pretty good year for us as long as he can stay on the field. I feel like that's what you can say about literally anyone on this team. But um, if you look at Corey Kluber's stuff, um, you know, post shoulder surgery and, and every, after that, and he made 31 starts last year. I mean, if he can do that again, um, I'm feeling good. And he's only going to be like our number four or five starter. So in terms of, you know, quality of, of starting pitching. So um, I'm excited. I just wanted to put that two cents in a little plug for Corey Kluber, because I, I the more I looked at it, the more excited I got. Um, New speaker, Robbie, go ahead. Hey, what's going on guys? Uh, Jared, man, looking to see uh, which prospects are you interested in this year? Ooh, um, <laughs> Miguel Blaze. Um, that's a guy. I mean, obviously, everyone loves Marcel Meyer, and I'll tell you right now that I have seen up close his eyebrows now twice on two separate occasions, and that's those are big league eyebrows. Um, Mata, I know uh, Tyler, Tyler's obsessed with, um, Brandon Walter lefty. Uh, I haven't seen him, but I'm in for any time that a guy gets put on my radar by a nerd like Tyler, I'm like, okay, you're, uh, you're definitely on my radar. But Miguel blaze is, uh, is the guy that I have circled this year that I'm going to be, especially now, if you didn't know this. If you have MLB TV, you now have access to all the minor league games. So if you are a prospect junkie, um, you can now watch minor league games with a subscription to MLB TV. So that is a little fun fact, just in case you didn't know. Uh, new speaker, high BP Red Sox fan. Go ahead. Yeah, high blood pressure because last year was just crazy. Uh, but you know, I want to go back to uh, what you're saying about trying to trade for a guy like Corbin Burns, right? You, you know, it's it's going to be tough this year, especially since we're all talking about this is going to be a bridge year. This is going to see what we have. But let's say they do have, you know, that 600 win percentage, or you know, maybe they're third in the standings, you know, and they're maybe like a game and a half behind, you know, second. You know, who are you trying to or willing to, should I say, give up if you were to try to trade for a, a front end rotation guy? Because I'm looking at Brian Mata. You know, he's dominating right now. Granted, spring training, you know, you never know. But guys like Brandon Malter, Chris Murphy, where they can come in and they can kind of eat innings, you know, those are the, the guys that were, are going to help you in the future, but teams are going to want them now. Like, if you're going to try to take away my Corbin Burns, we're going to take 
two of your probably one of your best pitchers. So, you know, are you going to make that deal? Are you going to try to hold on to, to some of these guys? Well, I think that if I can just respond to that, because I was the one that brought it up. But I, I think that given the situation, we, we can't remove – it's not just in a vacuum, right? Obviously, he was very unhappy with how things went down, and it's really one of the first times I've ever seen it really go that negatively. Obviously, it's a little bit of recency bias, but it was like pretty poor in terms of that that optics and the press from that. But um, I would say that you know, leverage wise, um, he would be like I forget if he has is this his last year of our eligibility or if he has another one. But he's a rental, right? Like it's obviously not. It's like a half season. If it would, it would need to require a little bit of the stars to be aligned, right? Like obviously, if the Brewers are on the outside looking in a little bit, they're not going to get anything from them. Otherwise, there'll be a bunch of teams that are probably coming at their door. But um, I don't know. I feel like you know, Heim Bloom hits it once in a while with a trade, and I think that he can do it without you know selling half the farm to do it. And I think that it would require the Red Sox to be in a good position. I don't think you know in third place, you know, a couple games out of second place would be it. I think if they're like, you know, like three, four games out of the division come close to the deadline, which would be asking a lot, man. Like there'd be a lot of stuff going right for sure. So obviously, you know, take that with a grain of salt. But if they're like really making a run and they're really hot um, and the Brewers are sort of in a little bit more of a seller's position, um, I could see it happening, and I could see it happening without necessarily needing to give up, you know, one of your key pieces. But, I mean, we're talking about, you know, Mata, Walter, Murphy, all these guys. I mean, there's not going to be enough room for everyone in the future starting rotation, right? So, I mean, I've loved what I've seen. I, I have watched a little bit of each one um, pitch so far this spring, not in person, but on the TV. But um, I, I guess it's just you can't really hold on to all the prospects, right? Like, I, I love watching them play. I, I hope some of them pan out, but you that's part of the game. Like, if you're not holding on to all of them, you got to trade guys that may or may not pan out for guys that are, you know, front of the rotation starters. So I don't really have a, you know, proposed trade package, like, ready. But um, I think that if the stars align, you might be able to get him without, you know, shipping half the farm uh, to Milwaukee. Chris Henrik, go ahead. Yeah, I, I'm going to have to disagree with you, Craig. I, I feel that if you're going to – I don't care if you have half a year or if there's a year and a half control, Milwaukee is going to want a haul. And at that point, why not just wait until the off season and throw money around and sign one of the starters that could be available? You know, And if you do look at the full landscape of the team as it's constructed with some of these veterans that are you know older in age as well as on one-year deals, some of those younger players are going to be needed to fill out that roster. I, I think that the narrative or the thought process that the Red Sox are going to get a front-of-the-line rotation starter for relatively cheap money because there's a half a season or he's upset – I just think that's fantasy land, and I'm not trying to come down on you, dude. I just I don't think that's realistic. I, I don't. Um, for me personally, I'd rather wait until the off season, take that money, go get Urias, go and 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 do something like that versus giving up, you know, that prospect capital that I just don't think you need to do during the year. I, and and if you just look at some of spring training right now, like Mata looks great, Murphy's looked great. They're getting quality out of Winkowski. I, I and I'm going to keep pumping the Winkowski train. This is <laughs> I know that, you will. I know you will. I mean, this is somebody that flat out said in the off season he needs to be better. And what has he done? He's gone into spring training and he's backing up what he's saying. 
Cutter Crawford, same thing. Half of Red Sox Twitter wrote off Cutter Crawford last season, and now he's in camp here vying for a rotation spot. Granted, there's injuries and whatnot, but he's still thrown scoreless innings when he's been out there. So this team is developing arms. I would say let's see what that looks like. Now, if if they're truly in a position where they're they're competing this year and that presents themselves and they can get burns, I'm not saying don't do that. I just don't think it makes sense when in in the free agent market that's coming up and you can just throw some cash around and bring in a top-line guy. To me, that makes more sense. I feel more comfortable with them doing that. I think if you're going to get Burns, dude, I think you're you're not going to see a, a Romero or two or three of those arms. You're going this Red Sox team. It's going to hurt. It's it's. I I just think that we're setting ourselves up in this like false narrative. They're going to get these guys cheap. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, I I, w- I would say that you know it, it would depend again, like you said, on the situation. Like if they're like balling out, right, and they basically say, listen. If we're looking at the playoff time and we're looking going up against the Yankees front three starters, the Astros front three stars, and we really think we can do this thing, right? Then you gotta you gotta talk about it at least. Like if this is gonna be like a 2013 2.0, which I think the comparisons are overblown. I think I think that's already been talked about on here. But um, if they capture lightning in a bottle and this team is doing really really well and they look at it honestly, I think it needs to at least be considered. But I don't disagree with you. I think that the free agent class for starting pitching has a lot more talent in it, top-line talent, uh, over the next year to two years. I also um, like – I like um, the guy from Braves, Fry. Yeah, I, I, I like Max Fried um, better than uh, better than I think anyone in this year's class. But I would have to look at, at the names. But, um, yeah, I, I don't disagree with you. I, I think that I would hate to see a huge haul be required, and that might – it might be needed. Um but it really would just depend. It's it's really very speculative at this point because I think that the chances that the Red Sox are in a position where they're really like, oh hey, like can we make a World Series run this year? I think that's pretty wishful thinking to begin with. So um, I'm gonna kind of leave it at <laughs> leave it at that, and that's coming from me, which is which is saying a lot. But um, yeah, I don't disagree with you. I think it's a solid point. Tom, go ahead. Yeah, yeah I just I would like to Chris kind of. Chris kind of said what I was going to say regarding, you know, the the Burns thing. Um, I will just say that I'm not sure. Sometimes I'm not sure what planet we're on when, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, listen, guys, I mean, I get it, man. Like, I want, I want this team to do very well. But at the same time, it's like, I'm not concerned about deadline deals right now. I'm not concerned about that stuff. But if you... If we were, if we were at the point where that was a where that was a possibility, I don't think that one Bloom would give away the kind of guys that would take that would take that deal to get done, and two, I don't think that they would go to the off season and kind of and pay the kind of money it would take to get a guy like him. So, I because we we really have no idea what any kind of directional plan is at this point. I don't see where you you have these like top fifteen, top twenty starting pitches across Major League Baseball uh, landing here, be well, it trade say- or free agency signing. So 100%. I think if if the 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 best that most of us are hoping for is eighty four or you know five hundred team, 
I think to to get to the point right now, because they're having a good spring, that we would even be in a situation where you could consider going after someone else's, you know, top two starting pitches on their team. I think that is a like wow! I mean, for sure, I for love sure. it. It's 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 wow. super. Yep, it's super speculative. I totally agree. I would say to the point of you know, can the Red Sox sign big money guys? I mean, the Red Sox can pay for whoever they want, man. Whether they choose to or not is a different story. But that's I mean, I know where I am. Right, exactly. But I, I would say that if you look at the payroll, right? I spend a lot of time. If it's not the lineup, it's pretty much always the payroll as well. Like what they have going on this year what's falling off the books next year, and then the year after that. They have, like, zero money committed long-term to anyone but Devers. They have story on there, but the contract is structured a little bit interesting as well. The committed money for guys that are, you know, getting older, you know, beyond sort of their prime years, it's like nothing. Like, Chris Sale falls off in two years. Paxton's only on for $4 million. Like, they have a bunch of guys on one- and two-year deals. I don't know what they're what they're scheming for, but – they can swing as big of a stick when it comes to spending money as any team in the league. Don't get it twisted. So, I mean, I don't know who they're targeting, who they want to target, but I wouldn't put their name out of the hat for any person when it comes to, you know, being able to pay for a frontline starter, being able to pay for a superstar caliber player. There's some big names coming up in the next couple of years, and I've seen people talk about Otani and all this other stuff. I'm not, not, I'm not going there, but... Um, I, I do think that the narrative is a little bit overblown that the Red Sox can't pay top dollar for top tier talent. I think that they're deliberately doing this, and I think it's pretty, like you know, obvious how much it's been projected by how many one and two year deals they have, by how many guys they're signing that are basically just like yeah, prove it deals, whatever. Um, I think it's pretty obvious that they want to commit like nothing long term, so they can go all in on a couple of these guys. What guys they're they're gonna choose? I don't know, but um, I think that that's pretty safe to say that they can spend with the best of them. Craig, I'm not saying they can't spend. That's not what I'm saying at all. I I, I know they can spend it. They have the money. I I get all that. My my thing is, even if they do have the money, are they gonna all of a sudden? dive into a start and pitcher that's going to cost you up its $300 million. And in my opinion right now, the way the team is being run, I don't think that they are. But, well, I think that's true. True. I'll let you finish. No, no. But that, I mean, that's all I'm saying. I, I know they have the money and yeah, yeah, they can swing a big stick and all that. Just exactly like you just said, they can do that a million percent. Will they? Okay, guys, sorry, sorry to mute you guys, but um, I want to give a few more questions to Jared while he's on. Um, we're going to go to uh, LLB. Go ahead. LLB. Okay. No. It's LBB. LBB, sorry. Hey, quick question for you, uh, Jared. Um, what do you think the clock is for Heim Bloom? Obviously, you know, you can you can kind of say that everything went wrong for him in 22, but in 21 for a lot of the year, other than the couple months there in August and September, everything kind of went right for him, right? So if you say, you know, two, three, four years down the line, there's not really much committed money on the books, and, you know, maybe some of these prospects don't work out, what, what do you see, like, his timeline like you know like does he have a job here in one two years if, if this team doesn't make the playoffs in back-to-back years um yeah we we uh 
I feel like I've been on for three hours. We hit on that an hour number one. Um, we with with Heim Bloom, I really think that you can't hire a guy to come in, trade Mookie bets, get under the luxury tax, build back up the farm system, uh, see if you can build this sustainable model of winning um, without having to go the Steve Cohen route. Which, like again, like that's their prerogative. I they have the money, so it's not like. It's not like they can't do it. They can. They just don't want to, which is is going to be a tough pill to swallow. The more that we see teams go the the Mets and the the Padres route of just blowing past the luxury tax penalties, but um, I think with Heim, it would be unfair to bring him in to do a job to then fire him for doing the job. Uh, you you do have to see it through. The question is. Um, how long does he have to inherit quite literally the worst farm system in major league baseball? When he got hired, baseball America had them at 30 out of 30 teams. Um, now they're up to 10th, but I mean, how many times have we seen teams have these great farm systems and they weren't able to, um, parlay that into a, a championship or not even championship, but just like a core that, is made of homegrown major league talent. Um, I would say you're coming up on that, right? Like, you know, you're at the point now where like, I think people are like, Oh, well they finished in last place last year. So if they do it again this year, then he's got to be gone. And I, I don't, I don't see it that way. Like you're kind of getting to the, the peak of, I don't want to call it a rebuild, but you, you were replenishing the farm system and, He's obviously done a good job of that. Like I think Heim probably doesn't get a, a ton of credit because you see some of these guys um, like Tristan Casas is not uh, – he's a Dave Dombrowski guy. So you can't give him full credit for, you know, the players that are coming up. The player, I mean, Casas is still considered a prospect. Um, so you can't give him full credit for replenishing the farm system. But I, I just don't think that uh, – if if the Red Sox finish, let's just say that like the odds right now are that they are the fourth best team in the division. If they finish in fourth place, are they going to pull the plug <clears throat> on Heim Bloom? No, because if you look at the the payroll, which you know we just we just talked about the payroll, uh, they're not going over the luxury tax. So that is an ownership decision. I I would bet my life on. Uh, that being an ownership decision that they are not going over the luxury tax this year. And if you're an organization that can go over the luxury tax, but you're not, you're essentially saying we're not going for it this year. So how, if you're John Henry, could you tell your general manager or your executive baseball officer, Hey, we're not going for it this year. And then we're going to fire you because we didn't win. Like that just, it doesn't make sense. So the leash is longer than a year. But how much longer? It's it's hard to say. I would say, uh, you know, if they're at least not contending in the next two to three years, that's when that's when you'll start to have real problems. But as far as you know, is he on the hot seat this year? No. Uh, Mid season, no. End of the year, no. Um, but it's probably like a two to three year window at this point, where you know you're not saying championship or bust, but you're going to have to start seeing some results on the field of. Um, you know, we're back in the conversation for best team in the American League East, 
uh, playoffs, and and we'll see from there. All righty, everyone. I want to wrap it up here. Jared, can't thank you enough, man. You 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 are the the man. <laughs> I appreciate it. I mean, I uh, I enjoyed it a lot. I think uh, I think it was really cool how many people hung around. How long how long have we been doing this? Like almost three hours. Three hours. <laughs> three hours. This was supposed to be how a Q and A with Chris Catillo, <laughs> and then you decide, hey, let let, let it be the Jared Carabas show. So. Hey, how when you was, when you how long was Chris on before I came in eight thirty, and then you came in at around I think nine. <laughs> when you got the tribal chief of baseball, man, the world sits at your oyster. That's right. That's right. Yeah. All day, every day. So I'll say it a third time. Go follow Jared on Twitter, and go check out his podcasts. Baseball is dead, and the Jared Carabas podcast. Um, Jared, if you like that, go follow me. If you like this space, um, go. F- Check out landsdownbound.com. We'll have articles there on the Red Sox. Uh, I want to thank all the speakers and my co-hosts, Jim and Jack, and speakers from Landsdownbound, Will, Maddie, Tom, Dave, um, then Craig Teed, Chris Henrik, uh, and then, oh, yeah, Chris Cotillo. That's right. Um, <laughs> yeah, so take care, guys. Have a great night. Thanks a lot, Jared. We'd love to do this again with you. Let's do it. Let's go, Jared. Thanks, Jared. Appreciate it, bud.